sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you're up against something over your head and need help that's strictly confidential, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Mr. Valentine, let's see if you're as good as your ad says. I am up against something that's over my head. A river. The river my company's trying to push a tunnel under. But we're getting nowhere fast. And I hate to think what the reason would be. If you figure you can help... If you figure you can be of help, I assure you we won't haggle about price. Hmm. It's signed, uh, William Kane, President. Kane and Bowers Tunnel Construction, huh? Now, I wonder where I could find a diving suit with the new look. <laughs> now, seriously, Brooksy, you must mean the West End Tunnel, the one they're having all the trouble with breakthroughs and cave-ins. I could drop in at the Globe Department store. Okay, Angel, okay. But this seems like a job for an engineer, not for me. Well, there's still no harm in talking to the nice man who insists he's not going to haggle about price. Well, as long as you insist on being mercenary, let's get going. Valentine, you don't know how much it means to a former sand hog like me to wind up building his own tunnel. I think I can imagine, Mr. Kane. He's like a kid with a chemistry set, suddenly finding out he's discovered the atomic bomb. <laughs> I realize this tunnel project's a pretty big thing, and you've had more than your share of hard luck. Yeah, way more than my share. What did you mean in your letter that you hate to think what the reason for these accidents might be? Well? I... Uh... I suppose i got to tell you. Oh, now, look, Kane, if it comes that hard, maybe you want this letter back so we can forget the whole thing. No, no, it's just that it's tough putting it into words. Yeah? Yeah. Me and my partner, Jim Bowers, we drove tunnel all over the world. Started as muckers, shoveling mud and slime. Got to be miners together, using dynamite and drills when you didn't even know what was going to happen next under the river. You'd think you'd get to know a guy after going through all that with him. Well, let's be blunt and put it this way, Kane. You suspect your partner, Bowers, is holding up the works here, is that it? Yeah, but i got to be sure. What makes you suspect him at all? I found out that the company we outbid to get this job made Jim a big offer to come with them. But if he's a partner here, what's the percentage for him in a deal like that? Well, Jim's always resented that I'm better suited to run the front office up here while he has to work with the men. Oh, I get it. So if he could botch up this job, we lost it to the Cameron Construction Company. They'd take him in there as a big shot. Well, you certainly must have talked this over with Mr. Bowers. Yeah, I did miss, and he said that he turned the Cameron offer down flat. But how can I be sure? Now all these accidents. With Bowers always on the spot to make them happen, if that's what he wanted. Uh, frankly, Valentine, I don't even know how you can help me. Sand hogs are a clannish crowd. You can't go wandering around down that tunnel snooping around. Well, Mr. Kane, suppose you let me give it some thought. Uh, George. Yeah, Brooksy. How'd you like to buy a Frinstance? Okay, Brooksy, I'll buy. Well, 
for instance, if you were a reporter and I were a photographer, we could be doing a story for a national magazine. That would get us down into the tunnel to snoop. Say, that might be an idea at that. Then you could look around. I'll tell Sanders to expect Oh, now, wait a minute. Hey, look, Brooksy, that's a good for instance, all right. But this business of we... Of course I meant we. Why do you think I came up with the idea? Okay, okay, you arrange it, Kane. I think we're going to take a crack at it. Just how far down does this elevator go, Mr. Sanders? Uh, about 30 feet, miss. Oh, well, that's not too bad, is it, George? Oh, no, no. No, that part of it's all right. I'm thinking of what happens later. What are you so smug about? What do you know that I don't know? <laughs> hey, you want to tell the lady what happens next, mister? Well, miss, it's getting into the tunnel that you've got to worry about. Oh? There'll be about 40 pounds of pressure per square inch on you down there. That's why if we get to the bottom, you still got to sit a half hour in the manlock. Manlock? What's that? Oh, it's kind of a sealed-up room, miss. We keep shooting pressure into that while you just sit. That's so it ain't so bad for you when you get into tunnel. Get it? <sighs> I got it. To put it more concisely, my sweet, unless they're very, very careful, the pressure of the river would come down on you and flatten you out like a jellyfish. Oh, lovely thought. Well, here we are. <sighs> Hey, Charlie, come here. We got visitors. A reporter and a young lady to take pictures. Two visitors, huh? That's okay. Mr. Kane knows about it. Mm. In that case, I'd better sit in the lock with them. Yeah, you better warn the boys to put their shirts on, Charlie. <laughs> Ladies' day. Mm. Right here, folks. Okay. All right, step in. Thank you. Hey, looks like a bank vault. Yeah, almost. The important thing is to seal it airtight. You'll see what I mean when I close this door. George, what's that? Huh? That's the air from the tunnel coming in through this valve, lady. When the pressure in here is the same as it is out there, that big door opens by itself. Then you're ready to go under the river. Hmm. Won't you sit down, Miss Brooks? Yeah, it usually takes about a half hour. Oh. Yeah, just about a minute more now. You all right, Brooksy? Uh, oh, I, I'm just swell. But my ears... It's even worse coming out. You're in too much of a hurry. That's when you can get the chokes and the bends. <laughs> Nothing like having things to look forward to. You'll have to put these little metal tags around your neck. Huh? What are these, Charlie? All sand hogs wear them. It's in case you're found staggering around. Tells the cops not to throw you in with the drunks, but to rush you back here to this decompression chamber. They don't waste much time, he'll probably live. Oh, goody. Hey, you sound like an old sandhog yourself, Charlie. You can't stay away from tunnels, huh? Old, Mr. Valentine? I'm just like Jack Benny. I'm still 38. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same age when I helped build the Holland Tunnel back east. Just got out here a few months ago. Well, that's that. There goes the door. It's okay for you to go into the tunnel now. 
Come on, Brooksy. Oh, oh, it's like the inside of a furnace in here. But there's all this nice water to slush through. Golly. That ought to help keep cool things off. <coughs> George. Hey, you can still put your bank in there with you. Oh, no. I, I was just thinking of my nylon. Let's go. Okay, everybody, clear. We're blasting. Blasting, George. Go ahead, Hagen. All right, let us go. Now we can go up to the other... Hey, where'd you two come from? You, Bowers? Yeah, what are you doing down here? And with a girl to bring me more trouble. Trouble? Look, Mr. Kane said it was all right for me to do a story about the tunnel. The young lady is here to take the pictures. Story? That all Kane's got to think of up there? I'd like to go up and tell him a few hey, things... Bowers! Hey, what's going on? Bowers! Yes. The brake flew at the tunnel, kid. What? Yes. Dead this time. The scaffolding came down with a lot of guys on it. Ah, uh, scaffolding come down on every job. Young Davis is down there, caught under all that rock and sand. We gotta get him out. I'll get the ambulance, Hagen. But you get back there. Patch up that break. Go on. Davis wouldn't be there now, Bars. If you sent that gang up tunnel far enough when the blast come off. Look, Sandhog, don't tell me how to build a tunnel. I'll tell you anything I want. Okay, if you want to play tunnels. <laughs> ah, pick yourself up and do what I said. Okay, reporter, there's a story. How we lost another day. Yeah, what about the man you just lost? This is one accident they won't blame on me. A woman in the tunnels are worse jigs there is. Kane knows that. And I got a phone upstairs for an ambulance. Well, I see the two partners are working late tonight. That's good. Oh, uh... Valentine. To get a good story out of that accident today? Now, look, let's stop kidding each other. You know I'm not a reporter, Bowers. I wasn't born yesterday. I know Kane had you checking on me. Why shouldn't I? <laughs> you know we can't go on much longer this way, and you're in charge. A little bribe from the Cameron Company, and you... Another crack like that, and I'll Okay, you. break it up, boys. Break it up. Let me do some talking. What I have to say will be short and to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I did some checking today. Bowers isn't the only one who might profit by these accidents. You could too, Kane. Huh? What are you talking about? Yeah, let's hear some more. I had a talk with the city engineer. He said he doesn't know how you can do this job on the bid you put in. I, uh, well, I admit I was figuring close to the line, but we would have made it if things went right. Ah, so the boy in the stiff shirt comes up with another bad deal, huh? And, Kane, you had the foresight to take out insurance to protect you in case you went broke building this tunnel. Well, that's a natural precaution. Oh, yeah. But it was a personal insurance policy. Taken out in your name, not for the firm. What's that, Jim? I know how you've been spending money, so I paid the premiums, but I was only thinking of the company. Well, here's what I'm thinking, Kane. The insurance company would pay off if none of these accidents could be traced to you, and you'd be saved from ruinous, from a ruinous bid. Yeah, but that's how it might look. Look, Chairman, but... look. If there's one thing I don't like, it's to be kidded along. Now, do you still want me to find out what's behind those accidents? I have nothing to fear, Valentine. That's why I hired you. <laughs> I know I'm clean. Go right ahead, Valentine. Okay. Okay. If you're sure that's what you want. Uh, of course. You heard what I said. Yeah, but just remember, if I dredge up something from the bottom of that river that you don't like, you're the guys who ordered it. We'll 
return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about parlor pastimes. Remember this game a few years ago? Somebody would say, knock, knock, and you'd say, who's there? Many a good gag and many a laugh came out of this game. But at the same time, there was another kind of knock, knock that was no laughing matter. For it was in your car's engine. And engine knocking often caused overstress of parts, severe temperatures, waste of power and gasoline. Today, motor fuel engineers have this problem under control. At Standard of California, they blended several different gasolines into one great motor fuel, Chevron Supreme Gasoline. Laboratory tests and road tests prove that premium quality Chevron Supreme burns smoothly, has high anti-knock value. In your new car or an older one, try Chevron Supreme yourself. Besides anti-knock value, you'll find it has all the qualities your car needs for good going. You can get Chevron Supreme gasoline at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine and a million-dollar tunnel burrowing deep under a riverbed, a series of unexplained accidents that stopped the job cold. Why? That's the answer George has to supply. But so far, all he's learned is the rather startling fact that both partners in the contracting firm of Kane and Bowers have their own good reasons for wanting to see the tunnel left unfinished. Right now, George and Claire have just entered Hogan's Hog Pen, hang out of the Sand Hogs, where Big Bill Kane is talking to his workers. And I know we've been falling behind down in the tunnel, but you know Jim Bowers and me were Sand Hogs ourselves. We can lick this job, and I've even hired Valentine here to make sure about them accidents. Now, here's an offer. You make up for lost time, and I paid time and a half to every man from then on. I could smaller that better, Brooks, see if I didn't know about that insurance policy Kane took out. Now, look, boys. That offer my partner just made you suits me, too. Just wanted you to know. Mm, I could swallow that easier if I didn't know about the offer Bowers got from that other construction company. Well, I don't know about you, boys, but I still have my doubts. Oh, it's our cheerful old friend from the Manlock. Don't get me wrong, Mr. Kane. I like making extra money. But when a job like this gets off on the wrong foot, it never straightens out. All right, Charlie, you're just getting the jitters. <laughs> All right, go on and laugh. But I wouldn't be surprised that if we pushed that tunnel another 50 yards, we'd run into a ledge of gravel and hard pan. Boulders will never get past. Just more trouble. Now, what we want to know from you boys is, are you with us or not? Huh? Oh, fine, that's all we want to hear. The drinks are on Cannon Bars. Go and get it. Come on, Brooksy. Where are we going, George? Just riding a hunch. We've got to be someplace before 5 o'clock. I, uh, I wish you'd hurry, Mr. Valentine. You know the Bureau of Harbors and Waterways closes at 5 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be through in a minute. Yeah, I think I found the map I want. Topographical survey, riverbed, section B, Oleander through Perry Street. Uh-huh. Well, that's just where the tunnel is being built, George. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Yeah, and this would be around Pier 19. What are you talking about? I'm not quite sure, Brooksy. But we're going to ride that hunch a little harder.
Hey, you the watchman on this pier, Pop? Yep, been here for the last 15 years. Huh? Hey, would you tell me something? Yeah? Those white bubbles coming up there on the river. Yeah, that's why they're working on a new tunnel, son. That's as far as they got in all these months. Yes, we read they're having a lot of trouble. Yeah, and they keep working day and night, too. Can always tell by the position of that trawler out there just where they're working. You don't say. Yep. She's there every night, too. Sort of keeps right ahead of the tunnel. I can tell that by the bubbles that come up out of the water. Hmm. I wonder what the trawler has to do with the tunnel. Yeah, I don't know. Man goes over the side in a diving suit every night. Suppose that's got something to do with the tunneling job, though. <laughs> Probably he's kind of a traffic cop down there. Clears out the fish so they can go ahead. <laughs> traffic cop, huh? Hey, Pop, you've been a great help. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> now where, George? Angel, what do you say I hire a motorboat and we take a nice romantic ride on the river? Okay, George, I agree with you. A trawler on top of the river has nothing to do with the building of a tunnel under the river. Then Brooks, why is it here every night, always just ahead of the shield of the tunnel? Now, that's more than a coincidence. There it is, up ahead. Uh-huh. What are we going to say to whoever's aboard? May we drop up for a cup of old-fashioned clam chowder? Uh, if you don't mind, young lady, I'll do the talking. As always. Hey, up there. Hey, can we come aboard? Anybody home? No, and get away from Who's here. Down? Well, uh, the truth is we ran out of gas. Did you talk... hear me? I said get on your way. Well, surely you can spare enough gasoline I just... I see you didn't understand what I said. <laughs> George! Hey, what are you trying to do? Next time I won't miss. I'll get away from here and spare George, what's going on around here? Look, Brooksy, I caught the name on that trawler. It's the Martha M. Tomorrow morning, first thing, check on the registry. See who owns it. Then pick me up at the tunnel. You were down in the tunnel early this morning, Mr. Valentine. I had to look around, Charlie. How long have I been sitting here in the man lock? Oh, just about 15 minutes seems like, like I just got in here. And Charlie, I don't feel so good. You'll be okay. You're an old hand at this now. You've been up and down here a couple of times. But it seems like I got hammers in my head beating away. And you look like six guys lined up six miles away. You'll be okay when you get some fresh air. Hey, look, officer. I know. I know where I want to go. Help me, will you? Yeah, you need a lot of help, mister. I've been watching you weaving down the block. I, I'm very sick. I feel run. I wonder why. I think I got the bends. Yes, and you've been bending over the bar too much. Hey, take me back, officer. 
the, the tunnel. There's only one place I'm taking you, to jail, so you can sleep it off. Come along with you now. Look, Mr. Kane. Mr. Bowers, I know Mr. Valentine was here at the tunnel this morning. Okay, but what you're so excited about, Miss Brooks? He was supposed to meet me at the shaft, and he never would have gone without leaving some kind of message. I wouldn't worry about Valentine. I found out what he wanted to know, and he was waiting for that information. Information about the tunnel? What kind of information? I'll let Mr. Valentine tell you. Do you mind if I use your phone? No, go right ahead. Hello? Police headquarters? Let me talk to Lieutenant Riley. Okay, I'll wait. Look, we hired your boss so we could keep this thing confidential. Yeah, that's right. Let's forget about ethics, boys. The man who's among the missing is someone I happen to care a lot about. Hello? Oh, Lieutenant Riley, this is Brooksy. Oh, I need your help. I can't find George. Oh, look, Lieutenant, will you check the jails and the hospitals and see what you can come up with? Oh, believe me, Lieutenant, I know what I'm talking about. We traced him down for you, lady, but you're not taking him out of here. Brooksy. Brooksy, my head. Oh, take it easy, darling. Best thing is to let him sleep it off. Can't you see this man is sick? He's got the chokes, the bends. We've got to get him back to that decompression chamber at the tunnel. Hmm? What are you talking about? Oh, I'll show you. Wait a minute. Look, this this tag here around his neck. I can't breathe. Oh, so they took it off him. Well, here, they gave me one, too. Here, read it. This man is a sand hog. The compression chamber. Rush. Yeah. Okay, lady, you win. And I hope we make it. Hello, Angel. Oh, darling, I thought you'd never open your eyes. Hey, why doesn't somebody turn that radiator off? It's hissing. We're back in the man lock, George. That's why you're feeling so much better. Oh. Hey, but what happened? Well, you were down in the tunnel this morning, and you must have come up too quickly. That's why they picked you up in the street wandering around. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember coming up. Then everything's suddenly going blank. I got all the dope on that trawler, the Martha M. Yeah? Well, it has nothing at all to do with the tunnel. It's registered in the name of C.W. Egan and his wife, Martha M. Egan. Oh, yeah, and the Egans were out fishing. C.W. in a diving suit and Martha M. with a rifle instead of a rod and reel. Mm. George, there's something else. No, there couldn't. There was another accident in the tunnel. Oh, what kind of accident? I don't know. Let me get over to that phone on the wall, Brooksy. I want to talk to Ken. Okay, George. Hello, hello. Yeah? Hello. Bill Kane? Yeah. This is Valentine, Kane. Yeah, Valentine. We're having a lot of trouble. You okay? Oh, sure. Just dandy. Heard you had a narrow escape. Well, what kind of accident was it now? The old tunnel nearly got flooded. Yeah? Yeah, just a good thing the new ship wasn't in yet. Poor Charlie, the lock tender, got killed. Charlie? Nobody will ever know why he was down at the tunnel face with a drill, but when we found him, he was over his head in the muck pile. I see. I don't know what the answer is, but it's the end of old Charlie Egan. Egan? George, what is it? Sure, uh, you know Charlie. Egan. So that's the answer. Uh, what's that, Valentine? Look, Kane, get Bowers and wait for me in your office. First, I want to see a lady about a boat. Then I got something to say to you. 
Valentine, you don't know what you're saying. Just the same, gentlemen. It was Charlie Egan who was responsible for all the trouble here at the tunnel. That doesn't make sense. He was just a lock tender. He gave him the job more out of pity than anything else. Okay, okay. Then listen to this. Do you remember what Charlie said at the hog pen? Oh, not particularly. He said if the tunnel went another 50 yards, it would run into a ledge of gravel, hard pan, and boulders. Well? Uh-huh. Well, the map of the Bureau of Harbors and Waterways didn't show it. But Charlie knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, how, how would he know that? Uh, that's funny. I asked myself those same questions. How would an ordinary sandhog just in from Chicago know the exact topography of the riverbed? Yeah. He suspected I was getting wise and saw to it that I got a good case of the bends this morning. Just to make sure I was a dead duck, he took that tag from around my neck. Yeah, but why? Was he crazy? Well, that's a matter of opinion. Now, I didn't want to believe the reason myself when I found out. I talked to Mrs. Egan. She's the lady on the boat. Now, she's in the outer office right now. Suppose we have her in and see if it's any easier for you to believe her story. Anything you say, Valentine. Okay. Will you come in, please, Mrs. Egan? All right. I want you to repeat just what you told me. Well, what shall I tell them? The two people wasted their lives looking for a will-o'-the-wisp, a treasure you were always going to find the next day. Treasure? Yes. Sensible people don't believe in buried treasure and sunken ships bulging with gold, but Charlie did. Now, wait he a minute. He was the eccentric C.W.R. Egan who spent a fortune and 20 years of his life looking for ships that had sunk with treasure aboard. And fantastic as it may seem, gentlemen, he found one, didn't he, Mrs. Egan? Just a couple of months ago. He went down into the river every night. He kept prowling around the hull of that boat. He knew that there was gold there somewhere. He kept saying he'd find it any day now, his treasure. And then Kane and Bowers started to drive a tunnel. Yeah. Charlie knew it was going to meet head-on with the Granada, the old Spanish galleon he knew was there. It became a race against time. That's why he got a job here. Did all he could to keep the tunnel from getting any farther. Yeah. And at night, every night, he'd go down to look some more. And I'd help him. And today was his last desperate attempt to flood us out. Yes. He wasn't going to see anybody get to his treasure as long as he lived. And he kept his word. Well, Brooksy, here's the check from Kane and Bowers. That's all washed up. So what do you say we go out stepping tonight? Oh, well, darling. Did you see the paper this morning? No, why? Well, they raised the granada out of the river last night. They did? Uh-huh, and there was a treasure chest, just as Charlie knew all along. Oh, so old Charlie was right after all. Yep, a chest packed to the brim with old Spanish coins. George, how romantic. Oh, yeah, but old Charlie wouldn't have been too happy about it. No, why? No. The whole batch was worth about $100. <laughs> Now, a message of importance to motorists. Maybe you've got your vacation trip all mapped out, but how about the family car? Before you start out, better make sure it gets a thorough vacation check at your standard station or independent Chevron gas station. They'll inspect your tires, battery, spark plugs, and oil filter. They can tell whether there's any risk of your fan belt getting out of kilter. And they'll make sure that each vital lubrication spot is okay. 
Besides helping you get off to a good start on your vacation, there's another thing about independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations. Wherever you motor in the West, you're never far from their quality products and superior services. And don't forget, whether you're on a vacation or just motoring around town, these are the service stations where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Brooksy, I want you to get down to headquarters as soon as possible. Have them get that whole crew together, all those pixies that were at the seance last night. Including the spirits, George? Including Miss Turner. Have them all brought back to the sanctuary. But why? If there really was a murder, Brooksy, I won't be able to live with myself until I find the reason for it. Right now, I got a date with a crystal ball. And maybe I'll get a preview. Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson here. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Francis X. Bushman as Kane, Herbert Litton as Bowers, Ruth Parrott as Mrs. Egan, Joe Duvall as Charlie, Franklin Pinky Parker as Sanders, and Leo Cleary as Harrigan. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Radio brings you Ma Ferguson. Hi, this is Dennis James with a tune that really brings back memories. That sure does bring back memories, doesn't it? Well, here's something else to remember. For youthful regularity... You try Kellogg's All Brand, the whole brand cereal that relieves irregularity from lack of bulk. It's A double L hyphen B R A N. Kellogg's All Brand. And now for Ma Perkins. Well, there's lots to give thanks for today. All might be well with Charlie and Mary Lindstrom. They're moving east for Charlie's fine new job developing his invention. And things might go better for Dr. Valentine, too. But what gives Ma the greatest happiness is that Junior and Anushka and Anushka's mother are in town for Thanksgiving. Without further ado, let's join them. Dinner's not until 3 o'clock, but the family likes to gather early. And so we find Willie and his son Junior around 2 o'clock walking up the street toward Ma. Well, gee, Junior, that, that, that sounds just great. And this professor thinks you got talent for it? Yeah, that's what counts. He's my counselor. He's the one who follows your career in college and gives you advice. That's what he is, your advisor. And he really recommends a career in teaching, huh? <laughs> uh, I can't help laughing, Junior. It's such a surprise that I should have a boy who wants to be a teacher. 
Nobody could ever teach me anything. <laughs> Maybe I could get my practice requirements working on you, Pop. No, 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 no. Work on your mother. With me, you slug. <laughs> uh, tell me, what does Anushka think about it? Well, that's the best part. I don't know if we ever told you, Pops. Anushka might win the Gertrude Hawthorne Prize for the best woman student on the campus. Anushka's practically straight A. No kidding. Hmm? Is it a big prize? How much? Oh, it's not so much the cash. Only a thousand dollars. But the important part is only a thousand dollars. Your old man has to work like a dog for practically a year to make and keep a thousand dollars. Just listen to that kid. Only a thousand dollars. Well, I didn't mean it that way. I meant that the importance of the prize is worth even more. You can practically name your fellowship at any university in the world. And well, if Anushka wants to go into advanced research, and I want to become a teacher, we might be able to work it out. <laughs> Me, Willie Fitz. I never got past the second year in high school. And I got a son who wants to be a college professor. And his wife is practicing to be a genius. <laughs> in what field does she plan to be a genius? International relations. And of course, she already speaks three languages. And she's studying two more. You understand why it's so important to her, Pop? Her family is part Polish, part Bohemian. Now they're American citizens, they want to work for world peace. It's so thrilling. Junior, let me tell you what's thrilling. It's thrilling for a nobody like me to have a boy like you. I talk a lot, but let's face facts. You could send me over Niagara Falls in a barrel along with 10 million other guys like me and the world wouldn't miss us one speck. Today is Thanksgiving Day. And what I'm going to give thanks for is that I live to see it. There's no reason to sell yourself short, Pops. I always thought you were a pretty swell guy. Honest, Junior, you, 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 you really look back and you, and you think I gave you a square shake? Sure you did. I always liked the way you were so popular in town. From the time I was a little kid, people would say, that's Willie Fitz's kid, Willie and Evie's. And everybody would smile. Uh-huh. Well, wait a minute. Why do they smile? I'm just as good as they are. Pops, you're the best. Well, here we are, Grandma's. Yeah. Uh, junior, let's stand here and sniff. Maybe we can sniff the turkey and the pumpkin pies away out here. <laughs> Let's go in and get a real sniff. Uh, is this the Silver Dollar Saloon of Cocktail Lounge? Service, please. <laughs> that ought to produce somebody. <laughs> Paying guests only at the front door, all that is to the rear. Hi, Anishka. And doggone it, you just get prettier all the time. <laughs> and, and taller. Uh, ain't you reached your full growth yet? I'm wearing high heels. Uh, Let me take your coat, Father Fitz. Your young friend can give me his coat, too. Isn't she fresh, Pops? Come here, freshness. <laughs> Father Fitz, that's kind of cute. Well, while uh, two of you are doing that, I'll hang up my own coat. The freshness is on your lips, cool from the windy day. I haven't seen you since 11 o'clock last night. There was a while there during the night when I didn't think about you. It was while I was sleeping. I only dreamed about you. For that, I will hang up your coat. Willie, did you bring... Oh, and Junior. <laughs> and you're bringing Mrs. Alex in the car? Yes, he is, Grandma. Oh, good. Well, Faye has just gone upstairs to see the children, and Tom went over to get Shuffle. Decided to go for a little walk together to build up their appetites, they said. So there's nobody to keep you company, Willie, unless you want to come back in the kitchen with me. Sure, give me an apron, tell me what to do, and the kids will be glad to do it out <laughs> Come on upstairs with me, Anushka. I got something in my pocket for the kids. All right. Uh, unless you leave me in the kitchen, Grandma. Not at all, dear. Um, uh, well, this is the greatest Thanksgiving of my life. 
Lucy, he said I, I've been a good father to him. He's going to be a college professor, Ma. Can you imagine, Ma, me, the father of a professor? <laughs> Friends, today is Thanksgiving Day, and the Staley folks, makers of famous Stay Puff laundry rinse, are saying goodbye to a good friend, Ma Perkins. Yes, after loyal sponsorship for a long time, today is the last day that Stay Puff will be able to sponsor this much-loved series because it goes off the air tomorrow. True to the traditions of Thanksgiving, we're thankful indeed that we've been able to share in bringing you this outstanding program for so long. We're grateful for the hospitality of our listeners. Through your radios, you welcome the Stay Puff story into your homes, and we know that hundreds of thousands of you are loyal Stay Puff users. We hope you'll continue to be. Yes, let us urge you to keep up your rewarding friendship with Stay Puff, America's largest selling laundry rinse and fabric softener. And now, goodbye, Ma Perkins. We're sorry to see you go. And to our good friends everywhere, remember S-T-A-P-U-F, Stay Puff. The Miracle Laundry. Now back to Ma and our story. Well, we rejoin Ma in the kitchen. Willie has indeed taken off his coat and put on an apron and made himself useful. And now he comes back into the kitchen and... He was walking up the street and he turned to me and he said, I always admired you, Father. <laughs> Only he didn't call me Father. He, he called me Pops. Well, there's no reason he shouldn't admire you, Willie. Dear. You're a fine man. Uh... I'll tell you something, Mom. Deep down in my heart, this is the first time I ever believed it. I, I always thought I was a, a failure. Willie! Really? I've turned my hand to a million things, and I always come back to working in the lumberyard. I don't mind. I, I like working in the lumberyard, but it's plain I'll never set the world on fire. Oh. Only look what I've got now. Junior doing so fine in college. Junior thinking I treated him square. Junior marrying the nicest, the, 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 the sweetest, the, the smartest. Oh, Ma, there must be a God in heaven to give me such a blessing at this time of my life. Why, Willie. Oh, Willie, dear, you got tears in your eyes. Now stop that. But you deserve it, Willie. The most honest, most generous, most friendly. I'll tell you something that my own mother told me many years ago. We can know how we raised our children by who our children leave us for. And when my daughter Evie married you, Willie dear, Pa Perkins and I was content because we knew that she was leaving us for an upright man. And I have never changed my mind about that. Thank you, Mama. That's very nice. <laughs> and now it's my turn to say the same thing about my firstborn, mine and Evie's. Looks like we've got lots to give thanks for today, Mom. Oh, Willie, my, so much, so much. You know, there's some Thanksgivings when I feel most especially that we should give thanks for the things which didn't happen to us. Like we all been spared and like there's no war. But for all of us, there's so much more. My happy years stretching ahead. Junior and this wonderful girl who's going to be his wife. The wonderful ambitions they got. And you got another son coming along and the other little children. All right. You see the generations coming after you and I have been spared? See them, Willie, dear. 
the work that they'll do, which we've left undone. And whatever comes, I give thanks that I have been given such a faith. Strong, young hands of my grandson, Junior. A straight, fine girl he loves, and the son she'll have. I just don't know when I've been happier, Willie. When I woke up this morning, I began giving thanks, and I've been giving thanks straight through. Me too, Ma. Uh, Listen up. I I can't believe it. I I just can't believe it. It's all so wonderful. The generations. Maybe there, Denise. They have the hope, the glimpse, the turning world which turns as it did in the beginning, and the promise that we find in our children. It won't stop. Maybe that's the life eternal. Mama? In the kitchen? Yes, dear. Oh, I think that's your mother and mine, Junior. Will you let them in? Oh, okay. okay. The folks are riding. Come along, Willie. Oh, anything I can do, Grandma? You've done so much, child. Just let me look at your pretty face. You've done so much. <laughs> this is Ma Perkins again. To wish the happiest of Thanksgiving days to everyone who hears my voice and to your loved ones, be they near or far. To the brave men and women on the far outposts of the Republic. There in the new states across the sea and under the midnight sun, in the sky and on the ships, we give thanks to you and for you. And for you, our loyal listeners. Dear friends, this is the last Thanksgiving that I'll be speaking to you. Tomorrow will be our last broadcast. I'd like to hear from you. If you'll drop a card or a letter to Ma Perkins, Orleans, Massachusetts, I'll try to answer each and every one of you. Orleans, O-R-L-E-A-N-S, Ma Perkins, Orleans, Massachusetts. And I hope your day is as happy as ours. The Martin and Lewis Show. The National Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from New York, The Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest tonight, Tony Martin. And featuring Flo McMichael, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. There goes my heart. There goes the one I love. And Jerry Lewis. And there goes my heart, the girl I love. What a romance. We met one day across the pool table, and I've been banking on her ever since. Take your girlie to the movies If you can't make love at home There's no little brother there who always squeals You can do an awful lot in seven reels Take your lessons at the movies And have love scenes of your own When the picture's over and you have to leave 
Don't forget to brush the powder off your sleeve. So take your girly to the movies if you can't make love at home. Take your girly to the movies if you can't make love at home. Take your girly to the movies all alone. You should see how they maneuver in the dark. So take your tips from Tyrone Power and have love scenes of your own. Stealing kisses in the dark is just immense. Where can you get half as much for 60 cents? So take your girly to the movies. If you can't make love at home, hip pops. If you can't make love at home. Dean has just received a mysterious phone call from a girl who demanded that he stop using the name Martin. What's more, she said she was coming over to see that he stops immediately. Well, right now, we find Dean and Jerry in their apartment trying to figure it out. Dean, I don't understand this at all. Gee, it's awfully important we keep the name Martin and Lewis. If either of us ever changed our name, it should be me, not you. This girl didn't even mention you. She hated me and me alone. That's the part I can't get over, Dean. A girl hating you. Gee, you're so handsome and dashing and talented. Oh, Jerry. Yes, you are, Dean. You're a good dancer, smooth-looking... A wonderful talker. Gee, you're everything a girl could want. Ah, oh, Jerry, cut it out, eh? Now, Dean, you know I'm right. Why don't you admit it? All right, I admit it. Oh, what a ham. <laughs> well, I know one thing for sure. I'm not going to throw away three years of building up my name just because a girl tells me to. Of course not, Dean. This whole thing must be some kind of a... Say, this might be the girl now. Come in. Yes? Hey, where's that schnook singer who calls himself Martin? <laughs> Let her in, Jerry, and we'll see what this is all about. She must be the girl who phoned me. That's right, if you're Dean Martin. Well, I am, but uh, what have you got against me? I'm the hatchet woman for the Tony Martin fan club. <laughs> hatchet woman for the Tony Martin fan club? Yeah, when anything looks like it would hurt our Tony, I go into action. Here's a medal they gave me for bravery beyond the call of duty. Well, what did you do to earn that? I went into the Paramount balcony single-handed and cleaned out a nest of Mel Torme fans. <laughs> Miss, will you kindly tell me what this is all about? Just this. No other singer is going to use the name of Martin after Tony has made it sacred. Well, wait a minute. If, if Tony doesn't like the idea of two singers using the name of Martin, let him change his. Oh, Tony don't know anything about this. Uh, we did this on our own. That's the silliest thing I ever heard in my whole life. Dean, this kid is a big drill-loop. Drill-loop? What's a drill-loop? A drip, but from a very loose faucet. <laughs> now, look, miss. I don't see why I should change my name just because a bunch of girls thinks I should. Yeah. Dean's just as romantic a singer as Tony is. Go ahead, Dean. Sing her a note. No. There, wasn't that romantic? Romantic? Sounded like a ham hock going through a disposal unit. <laughs> Look, you don't have to stick to the name of Martin. We even picked out one for you. What is it? Coon Scuttle Flackencoop. <laughs> Coon Scuttle Flackencoop? Well, that, that's a terrible name. Sure. Hey, miss. Yeah? Are you for real? 
Look, you don't scare us. You said Tony didn't know anything about this. All we got to do is go over and talk to him, and he'll make you drop this silly idea. Oh, yeah? Well, we're doing this for Tony's own good, and even he can't stop this. Here, take this. This paper? Well, what is it? I just served you with a court order. We're going to take you to court and restrain you from using the name of Martin. Now, wait a minute. You can't do this. Oh, no? We've done it. So long, coon scuttle. <laughs> Gee, Jay, what a rough character she is. Yeah. She looked like something Lippy DeRocha would say to an umpire. <laughs> hey, Dean, what about that paper she served on you? They can't take your name away from you, can they? I don't know, Jay. This paper really is a court order and legal and everything. But, Dean, if you lose your name, what's going to happen to us? What are they going to put on a marquee at a Paramount Theater in September when we appear in the picture My Friend Irma? Yeah. We've established the name as Martin and Lewis. What do they call us now? Nobody and Lewis? I won't stand for that. I don't take second billing to nobody. <laughs> you know, unless we can talk Tony Martin into stopping that fan club, this might be serious. This might uh, mean the end of our partnership. Oh, no, I'd never desert you, Dean. Once a partnership, always a partnership. But if I couldn't work, I'd be taking 50% of the money for doing nothing. Well, so long, Coon Scuttle. <laughs> now, quit ribbing me at a time like this, Jerry. Come on, get your hat. We've got to go over and talk to Tony Martin. Where's Tony working now? Over at the Riviera Club on the Jersey side of the Palisades. Come on. <laughs> Hey, Dean, if we're to see Tony Martin, why are you stopping in his drugstore? I was so excited I didn't even think of phoning for a reservation. I'd better do it now. Well, look, Jerry, our secretary... Yeah, hiya, Florence. What are you doing here? Well, my doctor gave me a prescription to have filled because I'm underweight. Gee, Mr. Lewis, I wish I knew how you keep yourself built up so well. Jerry? Florence, Jerry's built up? Certainly. I'm lovely. I'm engaged. I use Autolite. Well, I'd better find something that works. My doctor says I'm way too thin. Oh, Florence, you're thin, but you're not too thin. Oh, yes, I am. Just standing here by the lunch counter, three men came up and hung their hats on me. <laughs> My doctor gave me this new vitamin medicine. It's called Absideft. Let, let's see that bottle. Florence, it's not Absideph. It's vitamin A, B, C, D, E, and F. <laughs> oh, come on, Jerry. If I don't phone the Riviera Club for those reservations, we might not get to talk to Tony Martin at all. Tony Martin? <sighs> oh, you like Tony Martin, huh, Florence? Oh, yes. Of course, I started out as a Mel Torme fan till I had some trouble in the Paramount balcony. <laughs> That, that must have been the same girl who just served Dean with a court order. She and her fan club want Dean to change his name. Oh, I'll bet Tony Martin didn't have anything to do with it. He looks like too nice a person. This is pretty strange, Florence. You work for Dean Martin, and yet you like Tony Martin. Well, what difference does that make? Just because a girl works at Macy's is no reason she can't win the shop at Saks. <laughs> should I straighten her out, Dean, or should I let Bondwith tell her? <laughs> Let Bondwith tell her. <laughs> Mr. Lewis, you're acting so silly. Have you been into that catnip again? 
No, Florence, you, you don't get the idea. It's a joke, you see? You said just because a girl works at Macy's, it's no reason she can't window shop at Saks. Well, it's all about department stores. Bond with Teller is a department store. But if I said Bond with Teller, that's like Bond with Telling you something. But still, that's the store, see? The store, Saks, Macy's, it's all a conglomeration of ways to make up a joke. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> Ah, oh, Jerry, come on. I told you we have to make that phone call to the Riviera. And while Dean and Jerry are heading for the phone booths, another call is being made to the Riviera pertaining to their visit. Hello? I want to talk with Tony Martin. This is Tony Martin. Oh, I hate to call your dressing room this way, but it's very important. This is Annie. I just served a court order on a guy to keep him from using your name. It's that schnook, Dean Martin. Well, you shouldn't have done a thing like that. Dean Martin's a nice guy, and he's got a perfect right to the name Martin. Yeah? You wouldn't talk so nice about him if you knew what he said about you. He said you should change your name from Martin. Oh, he did, huh? Just wait till I see him. Thanks for telling me. And that's the cue for my song. Bye, Annie. so good and he's right up there on the top. Don't you worry, Dean. Uh, pardon me, but the head waiter said you two fellas asked to see me when you came in. Oh, yeah, we did. You probably don't know me, Tony, but I'm also a singer. Really? Yeah, and my name is Martin, too. Uh-huh. Glad to meet you, Coonscuttle. <laughs> and I I'm his partner. We got an act. Oh, Coonscuttle and Coldscuttle, eh? <laughs> hey, Dean, you better hold me before I lose my head. Oh, quiet, Jerry. You're not gonna lose your head. I will if he hits me. He's not going to hit you. Uh, sit down here at our table a minute, won't you, Tony? Sure, thanks. See, I wanted to talk to you. You see, one of your fans came in with our place today, and 
Wanted me to change my name from Martin. She even gave me a court order to make me change my name. Well, I, I didn't have anything to do with the court order, but it is a serious point at that. We're both named Martin, and we're both singers. We've both got black, curly hair. I guess we've got plenty to talk about at that. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. Where, Where do, do you have, have yours done? done? Well, personally, I like my hair exactly the way it is. Pointing straight forward. It helps me with the girls. Your hair helps you with girls? Sure. I can sneak up on them, and then they think I'm walking away from them. Well, I can see why you do so well in nightclubs, Tony. I have quite a little respect for your voice. Well, as a crooner, you're not too bad yourself. Oh, I'm not really a crooner, Tony. Not that there's anything wrong with them. I've even heard certain people say they actually enjoy your type of singing. <laughs> yes, that's true, I suppose. Un unfortunately, I never heard anyone say that about your type. Thank you, Hedda and Luella. <laughs> Well, Dean, Dean, when you come right down to it, you'll have to admit that professionally, the name Martin does sort of belong to me. I, I've been using it longer. Well, sure, Tony, but how much longer? Only about 20 or 30 years. <laughs> 20 or 30 years? You're talking to a man of 22, you know. How old are you? Me? Well, I'm 19. <laughs> well, so long, fellas. Well, where are you going, Jerry? Home. In exactly half an hour, I'm going to be born. <laughs> You know, you guys are kind of fresh. After all, I could let that court order go through, you know. Don't you threaten us, Tony Martin. We've been bothered by that silly fan club of yours all day, and now you're starting. Yeah? Yeah, and I'm getting sick of it, do you hear? Sick, sick, sick. <laughs> well, now, listen, that settles it. I'm going to let that fan club go through with that court order, and we'll see who changes his name. See you guys in court. So long. Tony, wait. That's uh, ah, no use. He's gone. Well, it didn't do much good talking to him. Now we're in real trouble. Don't worry, Dean. We'll fight this thing. They won't take your name away. We'll get a lawyer, and then you'll get on a witness stand, and the lawyer makes a mistake, and he tells you the wrong thing to say, and you get fined for contempt of court, and you get thrown into jail, and Dean... What? I'm going to miss you. <laughs> oh, quit it, Jerry. Let's get out of here. Oh, just spraying my throat. Me, 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 me. Gee, Dean, this is the day. Today we have to go to court. How can you be happy at a time like this? Who's happy? I just figured the judge might want to hear me sing as part of the evidence. Me, 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 me. Hey, that's not a bad idea, Dean. You can slam with that new number from South Pacific. Maybe you better try it over now, huh? A good idea. Enchanted evening, you may see a stranger 
You may see a stranger across a crowded room, and somehow you know, you know, even then, that somewhere you'll see her again. Someone may be laughing. You may hear her laughing across a crowded room. At night after night, as strange as it seems. The sound of her laughter will sing in your dreams. Who can explain it? Who can tell you why? Fools give you reason. Wise men never try. Some enchanted evening When you find your true love When you feel her call you Across a crowded room And fly to her side And make her your own. Or all through your life you may dream all alone. Once you have found her, never let her go. Once you have found her. Look, Jerry, there's the judge, but where's our lawyer? Gosh, I don't know. This is awful. Next case, the Tony Martin Fan Club versus Dean Martin. Hmm. Both these men are professional singers. All right. Are the interested parties present? Tony Martin? Here, Your Honor. Dean Martin? Here, Your Honor. I'm here, too, Your Honor. Who are you? I'm the hatchet woman for the Tony Martin Fan Club. Don't make her mad, Judge, or she'll tip over your courtroom. I'm worried. The case is called. But why doesn't our lawyer show up? Gee, Jerry, you gotta do something. Who? Me? You gotta help me out, Jerry. There's nobody else. You've got to do it. I will. I'll do it. Good. Get up there. 
Your Honor, I am representing Dean Martin. Just a minute. You're a lawyer? Oh, Your Honor, when an ipso facto comes up in the presence of a habeas corpus, it is the duty of every man to state his feelings when and even though one man's opinion might be wrong, feeling the case out. Naturally. Even though one may not consider that, I may add that standing alone firmly on the case, whatever cause may be right or wrong, I must say, I rest my case. Thank you, Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to hear the testimony. I object. <laughs> to what? I don't know, but it sure shows you that I'm on the ball. Say, Jerry. What? Did Whitaker Chambers ever hide any papers inside your head? <laughs> quiet, quiet. Now, uh, what's this case all about? Well, Your Honor, this case is very simple. You see, Tony Martin's fans want Dean to give up the name of Martin. Sure, because our Tony had the name first. And besides, he's entitled to it because he's much more romantic. Why, when Tony sings Kiss Me, Kate, we all pucker up and kiss the radio. <laughs> yeah, and when Tony sings Ghost Riders in the Sky, they all get on their brooms and take off. <laughs> Your Honor, I think it's pretty obvious that Dean's more romantic than Tony. Listen, being romantic hasn't anything to do with this case. The question is, which of these men has the right to use the name Mark? Judge, I have an idea. Since they're both singers, I suggest that you listen to both of them sing and then decide. That is, if Tony Martin isn't afraid to sing in competition. Afraid? Me? Ha! I'm not afraid. Ha! Well, it's a cinch. Ha! I'm not afraid either. Ha! <laughs> well, it's a little unusual, but go ahead. The plaintiff, Tony Martin, first. Okay, Your Honor. For every man, there's a woman. For every life, there's a plan. You know, if that's true, for every man, there's a woman, there must be a man somewhere waiting for me. You? I wouldn't introduce you to a green schmoo. <laughs> All right. Let's hear from the defendant, Dean Martin. Yes, Your Honor. Where Marty Marty Maguan de Sona Chipper Gee, Dean, what intoxicating, sensuous singing. You sure knew what you were doing this morning when you sprayed your throat with that taboo. I can't come to any decision when you're singing different songs. Why don't you both try the same song? I know, just the one, Dean. Anything you can do, I can do better. Okay, you start it off, Dean. Well, fine. All righty. I'm superior. You're inferior. I'm the big attraction. You're the small. I'm the major one. You're the minor one. I can, I can beat you singing, that's not all. <laughs> anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. We're we running over? You're cheating. <laughs> 
Well, anything you can be, I can be greater. I don't think so. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I can shoot a partridge with a single cartridge. Well, I can get a sparrow with a bow and arrow. I can live on bread and cheese. And only that? Yes. So can a rat. <laughs> anything you can sing, I can sing louder. I can sing anything louder than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Ends you. Well, any note you can hold, I can hold longer. I can hold any note longer than you. No, you can't. Keep going. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Can't. Can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I Judge, you've heard Dean and Tony sing. What's your decision? Well, I can't tell much difference in the quality of their singing, but uh, since Tony Martin was a singer first, I'm inclined to think he's entitled to the name. Gee, Jerry, we lost. However, there's only one thing. What name is Dean Martin going to use now? He can't go around using someone else's name. Your Honor, our fan club picked out a name for him. Coon Scuttle Black and Coop. <laughs> Coon Scuttle Flackenkoop. The court rules in favor of Dean Martin. Case dismissed. Hey, Judge, I don't know what made you change your mind, but I'm very grateful. Yeah, we sure want to thank you, Judge. Uh, Judge, uh, I don't believe we got your name. My name happens to be Coon Scuttle Flackenkoop. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, congratulations. There's plenty of room in the singing business for two Martins. Oh, thank you, Tony, and uh, thanks again for coming over and kidding around with us. It was a lot of fun and a great joy to me. Good night, fellas. Good night, Tony. See you next week, folks. Bye. <laughs> The Martin and Lewis Show, transcribed in New York, is produced and directed by Robert L. Red and written by Ray Allen and Dick McKnight. This is Ed Hurley. He's suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Tuesday evening at the same hour. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia.
Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken, brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Ten minutes after nine, that moving man's late. Moving men are always late. It's one of their principles, never to let the person who's moving know whether they're going to arrive or not. But they do arrive. Twelve minutes late. They're always twelve minutes late. Oh, I'm so nervous. I've never moved into my own apartment before. Neither did I till I had one. You know what you're going to take with you? Oh, certainly. I made a list of everything. Oh, don't forget those four barrels of wedding presents in the hall. Four barrels and one cereal box. There wasn't room for Aunt Louise's present in the barrels. I had to pack it separately. <laughs> oh, there's the moving man now. He's only 11 minutes late. That makes him one minute early. Everything out of that room, lady. Not much space left in the van. Oh, dear. We have room for the four barrels in the hall? Lady, it's a small van. When you called up yesterday, you said you had just a few pieces, so the boss sent me down alone in the small van. There's no room for them four barrels. I practically moved the whole house by myself. But, but, but our wedding presents are in those four barrels. Can't make it this trip, lady. I'll pick them up Monday. And you didn't have it packed so good, either. You had two silver pots in a cereal box. Could have got dented. I put in a wooden box instead. Oh, thank you. That was Aunt Louisa's present. They're soup tureens, not pots. Look like pots. Don't let Aunt Louisa hear you say that. <laughs> Is she thinking of moving, too? Anyway, there, there was no room for it. You had that big leather chair, that big drawing table, and the file cabinet. It's a small van. No room for the wedding presents. Good, good. You, you better not let Aunt Louisa hear you say that. Truck loaded? You couldn't get a dime in unless you stood it on end. Are you in a big rush? Well, I'd like to get this job over with, Mr. Why? I'd like to move some furniture around in here. Uh, think you could help me for $2? Well, I wasn't in too big a hurry. Uh, what'd you want to move? Well, first, a bed from one room to the other. Then a couple of chairs and a chest of drawers. All right, let's get started. This way. I've got the bed to be taken apart. Say, David, do you remember the way Mama's room was so we can put it back like it was? Mm, just about. Uh, you can help me where I fall down, Claudia. Where is she, anyway? She went downstairs. She said she had to get something. She'll be right back. Maybe we can fix up the room like she had it before uh, she gets mister, back. Mister, we won't get anything fixed unless we get started. Where do you want this stuff to go? Uh, next room. Here. Here, this one's ready. Ready? Ready. Uh, follow me. Look, I gotta follow you if I'm carrying the other end of the headboard. Is it very heavy, David? No, it is, lady. Watch out, you don't scratch it on the door. Oh, that's all right. We can fix it with some furniture polish. Yeah, scratch my thumb, too. We can you put did? it down here. Oh. I can get the footboard and you can get the two sides. All right. Won't Mother be thrilled to see her, her room back the way it was? Mm. She'll be able to get a good night's rest again. Sleep in her own bed instead of on a couch. Excited about moving? <laughs> Didn't you notice? I could hardly eat breakfast. Here, let me give you a hand. No, I, I can do it myself. What do you mean you could hardly eat breakfast? I saw you eating two eggs and bacon. Oh, that was just habit. I mean, I didn't feel like eating. Hey, watch the door, David. Mm -mm. I guess you'll have to use furniture polish on the footboard, too, lady. Well, they match now. Uh, hold the footboard up straight, Claudia. I'll hold the headboard, and you can put it in the sides, okay? All right. All right. This was in. Uh, look, hold that thing up straighter, lady. This one? Yeah, thanks. 
In a little, Missy. Okay. Bien. Okay. Oh, okay. Let go. Gosh, a bed without springs and a mattress certainly looks like a skeleton, doesn't it, David? And we'll put some flesh on it. Uh, <laughs> come on, let's get the springs. Yeah, we can get the mattress and spring one trip. I'll, I'll show you how. David, tell me about the place we're moving into. Yeah, I told you about it. Kitchen, living room, bedroom, and the room I'm going to fix up with my drawing table and fire. No, I mean the way it's furnished. Oh, it's very nice, very nice. And with the mattress on top of the spring, we can make it through the door just by tipping a little. Now, watch. I see. Uh, you, you, you go first this time. Yeah, I got nothing to scratch now. Uh-oh. David, the paint scraped off the door. <laughs> Mister, you'll never make a move on that. Now, set it down square now. That's mm. it. I'll make the bed while you two bring in the chairs. Which one, lady? I ain't been here before. You oh, well, the maroon one from the living room. And, and, and the blue one from the other bedroom, too. Uh, I'll get the one from the other bedroom, mister. You've been having trouble with the door. <laughs> Fair enough. And don't carry it. Push it, David. One maroon chair coming up. Say, David, <clears throat> think we ought to bring the blue chair in from the living room instead of the maroon one? The maroon chair is nearly there, and I think we should leave it the way it was. Where do you want it? Oh, well, put it next to the window. David, what kind of carpets do they have in our new apartment? Nice, nice. There. that right? Mm-hmm. Mama likes to sit there and look out at the street. Really, David, a person would think you'd never even seen the apartment we're going to move into. Uh, I did, but I paid absolutely no attention to minor details. Minor details? You walk on the carpet every day. Lady, I can't keep holding this chair. Where should I put it? Oh, I, I didn't hear you come in. It's because I didn't scrape the door. <laughs> well, where should I put the chair, lady? Uh, put it this side of the bed, right there. Thanks. Uh, anything else? Uh, the chest of drawers in the other room. Got you. Uh, straighten out that side of the bedspread, David. Oh, I hope there are enough pots and pans there. If there aren't, we can borrow some from Mama. Borrow some what? Pots and pans you came back to soon. I'm sorry. If I knew that you two wanted to be alone, I'd have stayed away longer. No, I, I mean we're trying to put your room back the way it was before we moved in. We messed everything up for you. Well, thank you, both of you. The room looks almost the way it was. chest of drawers is coming in. It's in, lady. Where's it go? Now put it over against the wall. Yeah? A little further to the right. That's right. All set now, lady? Yep, I guess that's all. Everything's back the way it was, Mama. David and I'll be going now. Well, thanks for putting things in order, David. I'll miss you, too. I ran downstairs for a present to start you off in your new home. Present? What is it, Mama? Nothing much. Same thing my mother gave me when I was first married. A pound of flour and a pound of sugar. Oh, a nice thought, Mrs. Brown. They knew how to say things gracefully in those days. Well, you better be getting along. I'll finish straightening up around here. You're coming with us, isn't you, David? Mm, wouldn't be legal without you, Mrs. Brown. No, children. I think you should go into your own home for the first time by yourself. I won't budge from here unless you come along. Nor I. You better come. i got to get back to the warehouse sometime. Well, all right. Just so that you can get back to the warehouse. The nice part about living on the second floor is that if you don't feel like using the elevator, you can walk up. <laughs> I'd rather use the elevator, thank you. <laughs> Makes me feel very important, even if it only is for one floor. Isn't this exciting, David? It's just like cutting open a birthday cake with presents baked inside. <laughs> Here, here's our door. And the lock works perfectly. Mm, so does mine at home now, thank you. May I carry you over the threshold, Mrs. Norton? No, David, not here. Not here? Where then? When we get our own apartment with our own furniture and everything, I'll feel differently about it. 
Oh. Did it hurt your feelings? I didn't mean to, David, but that's where I feel. If you want to... No, I... I understand. Well, Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Norton, aren't you even curious the way to see the Norton residence looks? I'm dying of curiosity. Well, there's only one way of finding out. It's by going in, lady. These valises are getting heavy. It's rather dark here, isn't it, David? Mm. I'll turn on the light. Still dark. Where does the window face, David? Why, looking out that window, you get a lovely view of... I guess it's the apartment on the second floor of the building next door. Well, Disappointed? Isn't the way I thought it would be, David. I'm sorry. Nonsense. It's just what you two need, a place of your own. The furniture's so, so old-fashioned, those oriental rugs and everything... David, can't we go back and stay with Mama? You certainly cannot. I didn't invite you. Where does this thing go, mister? Oh, my drafting table. The room at the end of the hall, please. Gotcha. Now, you two ladies care to see the rest of the apartment? Maybe the kitchen's nice. The kitchen? Right this way. There you are, the kitchen. It's very small, isn't it, David? Well, we won't do much cooking. Very nice. Just right for two. Let's see if he left you silverware in China. Mm, there's your silverware. All the silver plates worn off. What kind of a man is this, Mr. Tucker, of yours? A uh, bachelor. Take a look in that closet, Claudia. Any china there? Uh-huh. Well, at least that's all right. Nice stove, refrigerator. Faucet leaks. I will fix it. Everything's out of the van, mister. When do you want me to come back for those barrels? What barrels? Oh, the wedding presents. We left them at your house. There's no room in the van. It was a very small van. Say, Mama, would you like to keep the presents and oh, put them all around the room to remind you of us till we get our own apartment? I would not. Young man, come back to my house and pick up those barrels as soon as you can. Pick them up on Monday, lady. Uh, good luck, mister. Uh, thanks. Thanks for helping me out. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So long. Hey, wait a minute. I'll go with you to the door. Uh, how much do I owe you? Mama, am I going crazy? Or is this the worst place I've ever seen? Well, it's not so very good, Claudia. But you said to David I that know, it was so... I know, now look. You've got to understand this. David's a man, your husband. He's done something that's rather hard to do now. He's found an apartment. A place where you two can live a life of your own. He's proud of having found this place, and maybe it's blinded him a little to its faults. But just as he can't see them, for his sake, you shouldn't want to see them. Do you understand, Claudia? No matter what the rest of the apartment looks like, I'm going to say I love it. Now, for the rest of the house. The bedroom, right this way. I hope it's nicer than the rest of the apartment. All right. Here you are. Judge for yourself. David, it, it, it's lovely. Why, you, you you wouldn't believe the same person had anything to do with the living room. Maybe he just likes sleeping, not living. <laughs> and the beds are so soft. And, and, and covered with this nice, worn material. I didn't know you liked worn material. I'm crazy over it. Ask Mama. Aren't I, Mama? Is she? That's what she said. Uh. Now, who can that be? No one has our number, not even me. Only one way to find out. Probably Tucker. Tell him Tucker doesn't live here anymore. Yes? Oh, hello, Roger. Roger? It's uh, Roger, yeah. Oh, uh, we're all moved in, Roger. No, no, Mrs. Brown likes it, but Claudia doesn't. I do, too. Well, I don't care anyway. Mrs. Brown is the important one of the family. Well... I really married Claudia to be near her. Let me speak. Hey, don't grab. Roger, how are you? Listen, don't listen to anything David says. I'm in love with this place. It's so... It's, it's so... Quaint. Quaint, yes. Of course I like it. It's just like home, only... Well, Mama's got a view, and it's lighter and higher up, and it's furnished better, but... 
How's it like home? Well, uh, Mama's got four rooms, too. Claudia, Roger's going to think you're a goop. Let me speak to Wait you. a minute. Mama wants to speak to you. Here, Mama. Roger, I just want to say thanks. Seems my daughter's too ill-mannered to think of things like that. I am not. I'm just too excited. You just apologize. What? Yes. Yes, I'll tell him. Goodbye, Roger. Tell us what? Roger wishes both of you luck in the new apartment. Good old Roger. He told me not to bother about coming back to the office this afternoon. Good. Then we can get used to the rooms together. Will it take an awful lot of getting used to, Claudia? Not as long as you're around, David. I won't look at the furniture. Okay. I won't look at the rugs. And I won't be here to look at you two looking at each other. I've seen the place, put the seal of approval on it, and now goodbye. Thanks for the seal of approval, Mama. And thanks for the use of your daughter, Mrs. Brown. Feel free to drop in on the Norton residence any time, Mama. I will. I'm leaving my gloves here so I can come back and say I forgot them. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, you two, and good luck. Goodbye, Mama. Goodbye, Mrs. Brown. Now that there's more Coke available, make sure you have a good supply in your refrigerator all the time. Keep a few extra bottles of Coke on hand so you'll always have refreshment ready and waiting. And don't forget to enjoy the pause that refreshes with ice-cold Coca-Cola at the familiar red cooler when you're out marketing. Shop refreshed. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again Monday at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir, and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. Music hath charms to soothe the savage breast, to soften rocks or bend a knotted oak. You've heard that before, haven't you? Always thought it was just about right, didn't you? Well, it doesn't always work that way. Not in Springfield, at least, in the white frame house on Maple Street. Not with the Andersons. No, sir, not by a long shot. Like this. Margaret! I'm in the dining room, dear. Margaret, it's wonderful. Wait till you hear what I've done. Uh, where are the kids? They're upstairs. Jim, what is it? Honey, it's sensational. It's terrific. This is the biggest day of my whole life. Jim, put me down, please. Say, you're putting on a little weight, aren't you? <laughs> I am not. 
What's all the excitement about? Well, you know that group insurance plan I've been trying to work out with Henry Liggett? Yes. It's in. No. Yes, sir. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Oh, Jim, how wonderful. And that isn't all. How would you like to go to the Toscanini concert? Toscanini and the NBC Symphony Orchestra. Jim, you didn't pay that broker $12.50 a ticket. For $3 seats, I should say not. Anytime you find me paying a broker a bonus of $9.50 a ticket... But you said you couldn't buy tickets. You can't. They're all sold out. Then I don't understand. If you can't buy tickets... We're going as the honored guests of Mr. and Mrs. Henry Liggett. How do you like that? Jim, I don't know what to say. (laughs) It's all so wonderful. The insurance and the concert. I've got to get a new dinner dress. I I just can't go anywhere in that old one You don't mind, do you, dear? Of course not Go get two dinner dresses What do I care? I'll I'll go downtown first thing in the morning And, oh dear, I wonder if there'll be time When is the concert? You'll have lots of time, honey It isn't until next Thursday Good, then I can go to Gorman's Jim, it can't be Thursday Why not? We're having the Gribbles for dinner on Thursday And then we're going dancing at the townhouse I made the date just two days ago. I told you. Not for Thursday. Margaret, no. You you couldn't. But I did. Oh. Mrs. Gribble wanted to make it Tuesday, but we couldn't because the Smiths are coming on Tuesday. You said we didn't have anything else to do on Thursday anyway, so we made it then. Margaret, how could you have done a thing like that? How could you? Jim Anderson, don't you dare blame this on me. You were the one who suggested Thursday. Oh, honey, what are we going to do? There's only one thing we can do. You've got to call Henry Liggett and tell him we're sorry. Margaret, I can't. It's a big theater party, and I just sold the man a half a million dollars worth of insurance. Now, how can I insult him that way? Well, would you rather insult Mr. Gribble? Of course not. I'm still trying to sell him on the group insurance deal. (laughs) Jim, it's an accepted fact that no one can be in two places at the same time. Well, let's not get excited. Let's sit down and see if we can't figure something out. But we're only the Smiths. At least they'd understand. That's it. The Smiths. I don't mind insulting them. Jim! I mean, well, I can explain to Heck, and they can come over here for dinner some other time. I think you're forgetting one thing, Jim. We're having the Smiths for dinner because Elizabeth's cousin Maud is in town. When we were visiting the Bakers in Lakeside... She was very nice to us, I know. But that's still no reason why they can't make it some other night. Hiya, Dad. I didn't know you were home. I'll explain the whole thing to Heck. Then we can have them for dinner on, say, uh, Wednesday. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? No, I suppose not. Hiya, Dad. I didn't know you were home. Then I can call Gribble and change their date to Tuesday. (coughs) You see how simple it is? Jim, I think Bud wants to say something. What is it, Bud? Hiya, Dad. I didn't know you were home. (laughs) Now, there's an interesting observation. Are there any other vital pronouncements you'd like to make before we continue? Well, just about next Thursday. What about next Thursday? Is it all right if I take the car before dinner instead of after dinner? You see, I promised Joe Phillips... But I meant to tell you, Thursday is out. You can't have the car at all. I can't. But it's Thursday. It's my day. I'm very sorry, Eleanor, but it's out. I'll explain the whole thing to you some other time. But I always get the car on Thursday. I made a date. Well, this will teach you not to make dates on Thursday. They're nothing but trouble. Mother! 
What is it, Betty? Is Father home? Yes, dear. I'll be right down. Don't do me any favors. Stay where you are. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. You too. If I can't have the car on Thursday, when can I have it? I don't know, but I have a great many things on my mind. But I... you said I could have it on Thursday. That's why I made the date. Your father made two dates. He did? Father, do you... No. What? I said no. Whatever it is, no. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you. <laughs> You're just the sweetest father in the whole world. What? Mother said she thought you would, but you don't, and it's just wonderful. What's wonderful? I don't what? Mind if I go to the Pie Mew dance? Wait till I tell Janie Liggett. Betty, wait a minute. I didn't say you could go to the dance. I didn't say anything. Why, Father, you just said... I said no. That's what I said. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. Oh, go away. Mother! Jim, I don't think that's very nice. You'll gain nothing by losing your temper. Well, why shouldn't I lose my temper? At this rate, how am I ever going to get straightened out about Thursday? How did you know it was Thursday? How did I know what was Thursday? <laughs> the time you danced. Oh, no. No. This was such a nice day. Everything was going so well. Betty, your father and I have a very difficult problem to work out. So why don't you and Bud and Kathy go back upstairs? I'll call you when dinner's ready. He said I could have the car every Thursday. <laughs> Why should he change his mind now? Go ahead, bud. Father. Not now, Betty. But, Mother. I said not now. Jumpin' creepers. What are you kicking about? I can't even have the car. Daddy. What is it, Kathy? I don't have any place to go on Thursday. <laughs> That's fine, baby, fine. <laughs> but when I get to be a big girl... Never mind, Kathy. Just go upstairs. But I wanted to tell him. Go upstairs. Gee whiz. You know, Margaret, I've been thinking, what if Hector says they won't change the date? I don't see any reason why he should. No, but what if he does? Then what am I going to do? What are you going to do now? I'm going to call him, and if he says no, so help me, I'll never speak to him again. Turn a man down when he asks a simple thing like that. After all the things I've done for him... A fine friend he turned out to be. Jim, he hasn't said no. Well, he'd better not. Hello, Heck. This is Jim Anderson. Now look, Heck. Uh, what? Oh, uh, no, Heck. I'm not upset about anything. I just, uh, well, look, Heck, I'm in an awful spot. Yes, you see, we've got dates with the Gribbles and the Liggetts for the same night, and, well, we didn't do it on purpose. Look, Heck, is it all right with you if we make our date for a different night next week? Well, then I can switch the date with the Gribbles over to Tuesday, and I'll be in the clear. Okay. What did he say, dear? He's going to ask Elizabeth. Jim, why don't you explain to him that it's a matter of business? He knows that, Margaret. Sit around this house for weeks, nothing to do, no place to go, and then all of a sudden, everything has to happen on one night. Yes, Heck? You can? Oh, that's fine, Heck. That's wonderful. I knew I could count on you. What? Well, how about a week from tonight? Yes, that's definite, Heck. No. <laughs> no, we won't change it again. Oh, sure. I realize you've got to plan ahead on account of Maud. Well, uh, tell her we said hello, will you? Thanks, Heck. Okay, pal. A week from tonight. 
Well, that's more like it. Now, when I get the gribbles moved over to Tuesday... Is everything all right, Jim? Uh, Heck said they'd be glad to change it. Now I'm calling the gribbles. You see, there was no reason to get all worked up that way. Ask Mrs. Gribble... Just a minute, honey. Oh, no, not you, Mrs. Gribble. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to... What? She isn't? Well, may I speak to Mr. Gribble? Oh, they are? I see. Well, uh, uh, no, I'm afraid that'll be too late. Uh, Just leave word that Mr. Anderson called. Thank you. Good night. What did Mrs. Gribble say, dear? She didn't say anything. She and Mr. Gribble went away for a few days. They won't be back until Monday. Oh, dear. Who are you calling now? Hello, Heck. Look, Heck, if you want to leave that Tuesday date the way it was... Well, the Gribbles won't be back until Monday, and... Oh, you did, huh? You did what, Jim? They've already made another date for Tuesday. (laughs) With the Hathaways. Heck, we'll just leave it the way it is, uh, a week from tonight. Okay, Heck, and and I'm sorry there's been all this mix-up. Right. Oh, sure. Okay, Heck, see you later. A fine little fixer I turned out to be. All I did was move the date with the Smiths from Tuesday to Wednesday. And we've still got two dates for Thursday. Jim, I'm completely confused. Well, climb in with me. (laughs) I've been that way all day. But you told Hector our date was a week from tonight. That's what I said, Wednesday. Jim, today is Thursday. Margaret, I may be a little mixed up about a lot of things, but today is Wednesday. Yesterday was Wednesday. Yesterday was Tuesday. They picked up the garbage this morning, and they don't pick up the garbage on Wednesday. I don't care when they pick up the garbage. I had a date with Al Harris on Wednesday, and... uh, Today is Thursday? It's been Thursday all day. Margaret. Yes, Jim? I have news for you. We no longer have two dates for next Thursday. Oh? We have three. Well, that's really no news to Mother. She knew Father was getting things in a stir. You know, he needs to remember something most of us have found out one time or another. It pays to stop and think a little before you do most anything. I'd say even before you buy a pound of coffee. Think about what you want in that coffee. It's flavor, the most in flavor for your money. And right there, you'll see the reason why, day after day, more people buy and enjoy our Maxwell House coffee than any other brand. That wonderful good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Why, you just can't get enough of it. You won't find that famous flavor in any other coffee you know. No coffee but Maxwell House. And here's why. We have a recipe, and a mighty important recipe it is, because it calls for certain special varieties of coffees to be blended together a special way. It's the one way, the one recipe for that wonderful good-to-the-last-drop flavor. That's why our Maxwell House coffee spells so much more pleasure in every cup, so much more flavor in every pound. So for your money's worth and more, in real enjoyment, open up a pound of Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop.
It's mere moments later in the white frame house on Maple Street. The Anderson's problem still remains. Three dates for Thursday. Yet there isn't the dark and dismal aura of gloom one might imagine. Jim Anderson, a genius among fathers, has come up with an idea which he himself admits is a dilly, like this. Margaret, it's the only thing we can do. Would you rather see Henry Liggett cancel the whole deal? Of course not. All right. And what's more natural than telling him we'd rather let Betty and Bud have the pleasure of going to the concert? Well, it just seems so hypocritical. Honey, this is not the time to think of ethics. We're in a jam, and we've got to get out of it. Now, will you call them, or do you want me to? I think you'd better call. All right. In a case like this, you have to take extreme measures, like uh, an operation or something. Well, I suppose there's nothing else we can do. But if you'd only asked me before you made the date... Well, I didn't, Margaret, so let's forget about it. Let's just hope I can sell Henry Liggett on the idea, and we'll be all right. Oh, hello, Janie. Uh, this is Mr. Anderson. May I speak to your father? Thank you. Jim, something just occurred to me. Hmm? If Betty and Bud go to the concert and we go out with the Gribbles, what are we going to do with Kathy? Oh, we'll rent a cage for her at the zoo. <laughs> Jim. We'll get a sitter for her, Margaret. That's no problem. It certainly is. You know Kathy doesn't like sitters. Well, that makes it even. Sitters don't like Kathy. <laughs> you just have to find one who hasn't heard about her. Jim, it's not that bad Kathy may be a little exuberant at times Hello, Henry Uh, Jim Anderson Just fine, thank you Say, uh, Henry, I've been talking to Margaret about this Toscanini concert And uh, I wonder if you'd mind very much if we let Betty and Bud go in our place Oh, no, it's just that, uh, well, we've heard Toscanini And uh, Betty and Bud haven't And, uh, oh, (laughs) It really isn't anything much, Henry. Just something that any parent would do. Of course. You see, I explained to Margaret... Jim! That is, uh, Margaret and I talked it over, and we both thought that Betty and Bud would gain so much by hearing the concert, and this is going to be his only appearance in Springfield, and, uh... Well, it's nice of you to say that, Henry, but you know how it is when you have children. (laughs) Jim, of all... Thank you very much, Henry. Well, I wish we could, too, but we'll have to make it some other time. Thanks again. Good night. Jim Anderson, in my whole life, I have never heard anything quite like that. If you don't mind, I'd rather not discuss it. There are things that uh, women just don't understand, and this is one of them. (laughs) It's power politics on a local scale, that's (laughs) all. Well... Let's just not discuss it. Betty? Betty? Jim, dinner isn't nearly ready. I know. Did you call me, Father? Come on downstairs. And uh, tell Bud I want him. Okay. Don't you think you ought to call the Smith? I'll call Hector first thing in the morning and get the whole thing straightened out. I'll be able to do more with him if he doesn't have Elizabeth around. You won't forget. Of course I won't forget. Dinner's ready, huh? No, dinner isn't ready, huh? But Betty said... I didn't say anything about dinner. I merely said Father wanted you. Don't you want me to, Daddy? Oh, Angel, this is something your father has to discuss with Betty and Bud. Can't I even listen? Of course you can listen, but listen. (laughs) 
Yes, Daddy. Betty? Yes, Father. Bud? It's time dinner was ready. Bud. <laughs> oh, yes, Dad? I've got good news for you, for both of you. I just made arrangements for you to go to the Toscanini concert with the Liggetts. Now, what do you think of that? What time will dinner be ready? <laughs> Bud. Well, I just wanted to know. Bud, when are you going to learn that there are other things just as important as food? Like candy. <laughs> Kathy, please be quiet. Yes, Mommy. Is that all you wanted to tell us, Father? Uh, not quite. This concert is a very important event in Springfield, and I'll expect you to act sensibly and uh, with dignity. Yes, Father. I don't want to hear that either you or Bud went whooping around the lobby or did anything to disgrace the name of Anderson. Yes, Father. We want to be proud of you. And I think it might be a very good idea, Bud, if you had your hair cut before next Thursday. Okay, Dad. Thursday? <laughs> Father, the concert isn't Thursday. But that's the night of the Pine You Dance. Hey, I have a date, too. Betty, I explained to you... I don't want to go to the concert. Biggest dance of the whole year, and you want me to go to a concert. What are you talking about? They're having a night baseball game in Middletown, and I promise you... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Bud, Betty, don't you understand? This isn't just any concert. This is Toscanini. I wouldn't care if it was Roy Bargay. <laughs> hey, how can you say that? I'd rather go to the dance. I'll go to the concert. <laughs> Look, Mr. Liggett is giving a tremendous theater party. Janie Liggett's going to the dance. It's her own father's party, and he isn't making her go to any old concert. It isn't a question of making anyone go anywhere. It's a privilege to hear Toscanini. They're charging $12.50 a ticket. People are fighting to get in. They don't have to fight with me. <laughs> I'll go to the concert. Margaret, will you please explain to these children... Oh, no, dear. Go ahead. You're doing fine. Thank you. Look, kids... Music is an important part of our lives, especially good music. An appreciation of music is a sign of culture and good breeding. It's a relaxation, a, a release from the stress and strain of everyday life. As you grow older... Daddy! Oh, what is it, Kathy? I'll go to the concert. <laughs> You'll stay home where you belong. I want to go to the concert! <laughs> Kathleen, be quiet. Jim Margaret, I'm trying to explain to the children Jim, I may not know very much about power politics or business But I do know Betty and Bud And you're not going about this the right way Oh? You have something better in mind? Yes, the truth Margaret, this is no time Betty Bud Your father and I find ourselves in a very embarrassing position Margaret well, go ahead. We made dates with two different couples to go to the concert with the Leggetts and to have dinner with Mr. and Mrs. Gribble, all on the same night. Boy, who did that? <laughs> Never mind who did it, just listen to your mother. And Kathy. Yes, Daddy. Blow your nose. <laughs> yes, Daddy. <laughs> 
Margaret. Well, that's our problem. Your father's in no position to offend either the Liggetts or the Gribbles. And that's why we need your help. If you'll go to the concert with Mr. and Mrs. Liggett, all our difficulties will be over. Well, creepers, why didn't father say so? I did say so. In a slightly different way. <laughs> Gosh, we didn't know you were in a spot. If going to the concert is going to help you any, well, gosh. Father, you know you can count on us. Candy bud. Sure. Who cares about an old baseball game? I'll go to the baseball game. <laughs> Kathy, the way you can help us best is by staying home. Oh, then I'll be glad to, Mommy. <clears throat> well, I guess that takes care of that. Yes, dear. And I hope we've all learned something tonight. Yes. Well... I'll get it. Never mind, Betty. Go in and help your mother set the table. And Betty... Yes, Father? Maybe we can find a new dress somewhere that's just right for concerts. Creepers! Hello? Oh, hello, Henry. She what? Oh, that's fine, Henry. That's just fine. Yes, I'll tell Margaret right away. She'll be very happy. Thank you very much, Henry. Yes, we'll be seeing you. Good night. Who was that, dear? That was Henry Liggett, and he was so happy about everything. Jim, nothing's gone wrong with the insurance deal, has it? Oh, no, everything's fine, just great. Why, Jim, what is it? Mrs. Liggett thinks we're wonderful, the most thoughtful parent she's ever known. So she wants us to have something she dug up this afternoon. Two more tickets for the concert. <laughs> and wait till you hear where she got them. It seems a friend of hers couldn't make it on account of she's going out for dinner that night. Jim, not... Uh-huh. She got them from Mrs. Gribble. Oh, no. And Father thought he had everything all straightened out, too. Well, some things you just can't count on. Other things, though, you can count on every time. And it's good to know about them. Take coffee, for instance. You want to count on the coffee you buy for wonderful flavor every pound. Because flavor is what you pay for, what you enjoy. And as millions of folks know, wonderful flavor is just what you can count on with our Maxwell House coffee. Day after day, pound after pound... An extra measure of flavor comes your way in that familiar blue tin. Wonderful, good-to-the-last-drop flavor only Maxwell House brings you. We're mighty proud of that flavor, you know. It's the reason more people buy our Maxwell House coffee than any other brand. And we'll never compromise on the quality of one single pound. Yes, for more flavor for your money, for your money's worth and more, bring home that familiar blue tin of Maxwell House coffee. It's today's Coffee Buy. Always good to the last drop. A week's gone by, and it's Thursday again. Springfield, in its best bib and tucker, is pouring into the local opera house for the highlight of the social year, the Toscanini Concert. Inside, the orchestra is tuning up. 
But in the lobby, last-minute arrivals are still making their way into the auditorium, like this. Betty, go inside and tell Mr. Liggett we'll be in as soon as I get the Smiths and the Gribbles straightened out. Okay, Father. And uh, take Bud with you. Come on, Bud. Hurry up. I can't. Everybody's pushing me. Now, where did they go? Hector! Jim, please don't shout. Well, they can't get in. I've got all the tickets. I don't know. When the Smiths showed up for dinner, too, I thought I'd die. Just die. Yes, Margaret, I know. You kept promising that you'd call them. I forgot, Margaret. I just as soon you forgot. How can I ever forget all that good food in the icebox going to waste? I still think there was enough. For the Smiths and the Gribbles? Well... And why did we have to take them to the townhouse, the most expensive restaurant in Springfield? They enjoyed it, didn't they? Why shouldn't they? At the end of this month, our budget is going to look like a Swiss cheese. Tickets, please. Kindly show your tickets at the door. $12.50 apiece for five tickets. Margaret. And dinner for the Gribbles and the Smiths. Margaret, there was nothing else we could do. Do you realize that tonight is costing us almost $100? Uh. There they are. We're over here, Hector. Tickets, please. Kindly show your tickets at the door. Mrs. Gribble, here we are. Toscanini, a hundred dollars. And less than two months ago, it only cost us five dollars to hear Spike Jones. <laughs> Good to the last drop. Now that famous flavor is yours to enjoy in instant coffee, too. Instant Maxwell House. It's the instant coffee with a famous flavor, the happiest combination in coffee. Wonderful flavor combined with the convenience and thrift of coffee made instantly in the cup. So thrifty, so easy, and best of all, so truly good. Tomorrow, try Instant Maxwell House. The instant coffee with a famous flavor. Instantly good to the last drop. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Bill, is it all right if I step in here for a minute? Why, of course, Bob. What's on your mind? Well, there's a long Fourth of July weekend coming up, and I'd like to say a few words to the members of our Good Drivers Club. I've been looking at the figures compiled by the National Safety Council. 579 deaths over the Memorial Day weekend. And I'd like to remind our members once more of their pledge to drive safely and carefully. Look at the eight safe driving rules again. Talk them over with your parents. Explain them to others who may not have yet joined the club. Let's see if we can't save a few lives. Let's see if we can't make this the safest, sanest, and healthiest fourth on record. Let's just take it easy. Good night. Now until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
gentlemen, the secret word tonight is ink. I-N-K. Really? You bet your life! The one, the only... Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fanneman, who's first? Just before we went on the air, we asked if there were any young people present who'd like to get married someday. And our studio audience selected Miss Mary Cool and Dr. Eugene D. McCann, Jr. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. So you two are in search of romance, eh? Mary, uh, Mary Cool? That's right. Cool. Oh, cool, huh? Where are you from, Mary? I'm from around Milwaukee. I was born in Wauwatosa. I had that for breakfast this morning. <laughs> why, why did you come to California? I came to see the Rose Bowl game last year. <laughs> You were a little late, weren't you, Mary? No, we won. Oh, you won, huh? Yes, we did. And now you're waiting for the next Rose Bowl game? That's right. And what do you do between games? Huh? I'm you... a secretary. And uh, Mr. McCann? That's Mr. Right. McCann, Jr., huh? Eugene D. McCann, huh? That's right. What does the D stand for? Does that represent anything? Oh, that's the first letter of my middle name. Well, that's better than having it the last letter of your middle name. Not mine. It is the last letter. That, that is the last letter, yes. too? It's the last... Well, what is your name? Middle well, name. Uh, I don't use it very much. Well, I won't tell anybody if you... Uh, what is it? Duddy. Did you say Duddy? That's right. <laughs> Not Fuddy Duddy, no. Are you related to uh, Howdy Daddy? Uh, <laughs> what, does Daddy have any significance in addition to getting laughs? Uh, <laughs> this is my uncle's name. That's all I got from him. Well, I must say, he didn't leave you much, huh? <laughs> what was your reason for coming to California? I was born here. thought maybe you were trying to get away from your uncle. <laughs> how, old, how old are you, uh, Eugene? 27. What's your, what's your age, Mary? I was 21 on September 5th. What year? <laughs> Where do you work, John? Uh, I work at Prudential Insurance Company of America. And oh, just what do you do there? Well, I am a secretary, and my job consists of taking shorthand, typing, answering the telephone, and attending conferences, taking notes. A lot of men sitting in the room? Yes, there are. It's fun, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> Around five o'clock, I suppose, you're uh, on your last lap. <laughs> now, what sort of work do you do, Gene? I'm an optometrist, Gotcha. An optometrist. Now, well, what's the difference between an optometrist and an oculist and an optician? Couldn't one fellow do all three jobs? <laughs> no, they're all different licenses. Well, they're all the same to me. 
<laughs> no matter which one I get a belt from, I still can't believe my eyes. <laughs> How did you get to be an eye, ear, and nose specialist? I have nothing to do with the uh, nose and ears, Groucho. You have nothing to do with it? No. Well, if you had nothing to do with the nose and the ears, where would you hang the glasses? <laughs> Well, uh, have you ever considered sharing an office with a dentist? You know, you could then advertise an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> Doc, do you have a slogan? Yes. Have you got a slogan? Yes. What is it? You can't be optimistic with misty optics. That's well, very quaint. <laughs> do you make that up yourself, Doc? That's original, yes, but uh, I happen to be an optimist also, so that... What, what do you mean you're an optimist? Well, that's a club that's in Los Angeles, and this is Optimist Week. So what is an optimist? Uh... Well, he's a member of the Optimist Club. <laughs> <laughs> they have... Uh, their main interest is in the boy. Their slogan is a friend of the boy. Friend of the boy, huh? That's correct. Is there a sister club to that, then? <laughs> now, uh, tell me, bifocals, do you like... Uh... <laughs> Do you work for somebody, or do you have your own office? No, I've been associated with my father for six years. You're lucky. <laughs> Nobody's associated with me for six years. <laughs> By the way, Rimsky Korsakov, how is it? Uh, how is it you don't wear glasses? I don't need them. Well, don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen plenty of spectacles in your day. Huh? <laughs> Mary, do you think you could fall in love with a nice, successful, uh, young, clean-looking optometrist? Huh? Well, I don't know. I've, I've just met him. Well, stop giving him the eye or he's, he's liable to charge you for an examination. It'd be free examination. It would be free. <laughs> Doc, would you mind looking deep into Mary's eyes and, and tell me what you see there? Huh? <laughs> The media is extremely clear. What was that? The media is extremely clear. The media is extremely yeah. clear. Huh? Still, it's been snowing in the mountains. There's no, uh, there's no sedimentation in the uh, anterior chamber. What did you say your middle name was? <laughs> Doc, you're about as romantic as a dish of sauerkraut. Huh? Well, you two ought to get along beautifully. An optimistic optometrist and a beautiful girl. Therefore, I now pronounce you winkin' blinkin' and may you have many little nods. <laughs> now, in just one minute, you're going to work together as a team for $1,000. But right now, I want you to pay attention to some interesting advice. you two will get a chance at the $1,000 question. You're going to play your bet your life. Fenneman, give out with the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's going on out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Prominent sports figures. That's right. Now, here's your first question. You have 20 bucks. How much are you going to try? Ten. Ten bucks? In what sport? In what sport is Earl Cashel famous? <laughs> Golf. 
Oh, I'm sorry. It's tennis. Well known. I think he ranked about sixth this year in the United States. They now have $10. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight, and that's the big prize. Five. How much of the $10 are you going to try? Five. Five. Okay. Ralph Neves, N-E-V-E-S or Nevis, is famous in what sport? Horse racing. Horse racing is right. Now I know where you put your money. They have $15. Oh, I know where your money goes. Mm-hmm. Now you have $15. In what sport are you going to bet how much? Ten. Ten. In what sport is Bob Dillinger famous? Take a guess. Boxing. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's baseball. He's with the St. Louis Browns, I believe. They now have $5. Well, you've now got $5. You can't get married on $5, you know. <laughs> You're going to bet $5, huh? In what sport is Jim Ferrier famous? F-E-R-R-I-E-R. Jim Ferrier. Football, I'll say. No, it's golf. I'm going to give you one more chance to get rich quick. You answer this question correctly, I'll hand over $10 in cash. Who is buried in Grand's tomb? <laughs> Grand is right! Don't go away now. You're still in the running for the big question. Groucho, the next couple has been in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know the secret word is ink. Perhaps they'll say it. Just before we went on the air, the studio audience selected a man who works for the city public health department and a housewife to be his partner, and here they come. Mrs. Emma Ziegler and Mr. Al Toribio meet Groucho Marx. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Ziegler? I'll call you Emma, huh? Where, where are you from? Uh... From 1550 West 52nd Street in Los Angeles. Is that upstairs or down? <laughs> I, I meant, uh, uh, where are you from originally, Emma? And I don't want to hear any nonsense about the stork either. Right? Well, originally, I was born in a barn near Lansdale, Pennsylvania. You were born in a barn? <laughs> That's right. Well, that was a horse on you, wasn't it, Emma? How long have you been married, Emma? For 12 and a half years. 12 and a half years. Do you have any children? I have four kids. Hmm. You have four kids, huh? Very interesting, huh? Do you have any children? Yes, I have four children. How, how did you meet your husband? I didn't mean to be so fresh, uh, Mrs. Eagle. When we were deep sea fishing... I handed... You were deep sea fishing? <laughs> and you pulled him out? <laughs> no. He, he sort of helped me out. I handed him my uncle's false teeth. What were you using that for bait? <laughs> no, my uncle had given them to me. You, you gave uh, your boyfriend your uncle's teeth? <laughs> he wasn't my boyfriend with... then. He oh. was a perfect stranger. Well, did he put... And then you put the bite on him? And... <laughs> Put the bite on me. Uh, Mr. Toribio? That's right, Groucho. You're from the public health department, huh? That's right, Groucho. Uh, how do you feel? I can't kick. Mm-hmm. Rheumatism? <laughs> where, where are you from, uh, Al? Uh, city health department. Mm-hmm. How do you feel, huh? <laughs> Swell. Swell, huh? Got the mumps? <laughs> I mean, what town are you from, Al? Oh, Trinidad, Colorado. How's the health in your family, uh, Mrs. Ziegler? We're all in top shape. We're all in top shape. <laughs> shape like a top, huh? <laughs> Suppose on Sunday you go out for a spin, huh? Sometimes we do. 
With all those children, Emma, do you ever have a case of the sniffles or a cold around the house? Quite frequently. What do you do in a case like that? Well, one time when three of them came down at one time, I got out the sewing machine and started making dresses. You always make dresses when the kids have a cold? It's a good time. Well, don't you give them any medication of any kind? Well, I did that in between the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you threw me that time, Emma. <laughs> Mr. Toribio, uh, how would you handle it if you came home and found four youngsters all broken out? Well, I'd check to see whose children they were first. <laughs> You have a very suspicious nature. <laughs> Haven't you got four children? Uh, three, Groucho. <laughs> well, don't come running to me with your trouble. <laughs> okay, now let's play you bet your life for $1,000. Run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the big question later. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The secretary and the optometrist lost all their money, so these people have a clear field. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Movie biographies. How much are you going to bet? Oh, ten bucks. Ten dollars. Okay. Who played the title role in Wilson? Alexander Knox. Alexander Knox is correct. Well, I'm away with thirty dollars, Groucho. Okay, you've got thirty dollars. You're betting how much? Twenty-five. Who played authoress George Sand in A Song to Remember? The authoress. Was it uh, Merle Oberon? It was Merle Oberon on the nose. $55. Now, how much are you going to try of the 55 40 $40. Who played composer George Gershwin in Rhapsody in Blue? It's a toughie. He's a director in New York now, stage director. Name of... Take a stab. Oh. I'm sorry. As Archie Mayo would say, the bell is tolled. Huh? It was Robert Alder, and that's a pretty tough one. They now have $15. Okay, now how much are you going to try of the $15? 15. Let's take a 10. You're going to 10? Sh- she says $10. $10. Who played composer Jerome Kane until the clouds roll by? Oh, that's a shame. It was Robert Walker. And they wind up with $5. <laughs> Well, thanks and good luck. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play You Bet Your Life, and then we know who gets the $1,000 question. But at the moment, I'd like you to listen to this. Now, then, we'll soon know who's going to earn the most money and get the chance at the $1,000 question. George, who's ahead so far? Well, the health inspector and the housewife with $5 are leading. Our final couple doesn't know the secret word is ink. Since they've been in a waiting room off stage, perhaps they'll say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a cross-country bus driver and a roller coaster operator, and here they are: Mr. Bernard Sampson and Mr. Robert Sewell. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen, to You Bet Your Life. Mr. Sampson, uh, you're the uh, bus driver. Huh? Which bus do you drive, uh, Bernard? Pacific Greyhound Lines. Mr. Sewell, Mr. Robert Sewell. Huh? Well, what do you do? I'm a roller coaster operator. Where do you do your operating, uh, Bob? An ocean Park Pier. Just where, where, where is Ocean Park Pier? It's an ocean park. 
You don't get around much, do you? Huh? Bus driver, are you still here blocking the traffic? I'm still here. Where are you from? Chicago. Are you, are you married? Yes, I'm married. How'd you meet your wife? I met her on a Pacific Electric train going to work. All the way downtown, I just kept looking at her, and she didn't say nothing to me, and I didn't say nothing to her. And, uh... Oh, you had a very interesting conversation. <laughs> well, uh, before I got off, I asked her for a phone number, and I told her I'd write the number down, and she'd give it to me, and she gave me pretty fast, and just about the right, and I ran out of ink. And I... Now, where were we when you spilled ink all over the joint, huh? <laughs> So, you ran out of ink. And I uh, wrote down her number on the, with a pencil on a piece of paper and called her up and told her I was going to marry her. And uh, here I am. And since that time, you've been riding buses, huh? Well, I'm pushing the gray on down the highway. What time does your bus stop in, at Long Beach, uh, driver? I don't stop in Long Beach. What have you got against Long Beach? <laughs> Let's take another ride on the roller coaster operator. Just what do you what do you do on your job, Mr. Sewell? Oh, I release the brake levers. <laughs> That's all you do, just pull the lever? Don't you do anything else? Oh, we load the people in the train first. And what do you do while the coaster is going uh, over the track? Oh, I just stand there and wait for it to come back down. I mean, you just stand there and hope it comes down. Is that what you mean? Oh, it'll come back all right. You're pretty despondent about the whole thing, aren't you? Well, what do you do if the thing doesn't come down? How do you get it down? Well, it's always came back. Well, I can't shake your story, can I? Huh? Well, if it didn't come down, what would you do? Put an ad in the paper or something? <laughs> Lost one roller coaster? Now, how long a trip is it on your booby trap? Huh? Seven-eighths of a mile around. Seven-eighths of a mile. And how long does it take to cover that distance? It takes a minute and 45 seconds. And how much does it cost for the ride? 25 cents. For seven-eighths of a mile, 25 cents. Huh? It's pretty expensive, isn't it? Bus driver, how yeah. far can I go on your bus for a quarter? Oh. About 12 and a half miles. In which direction? <laughs> Any way you want to go. Okay, up. <laughs> what time does your bus stop at Anaheim? I don't stop in Anaheim. What have you got against Anaheim? Operator, how do you explain your exorbitant rates uh, compared with the bus company? Well, we have a very thrilling ride there on the coaster. It takes you up and down and around, a lot of twists and curves. That's a lot of fun. A lot of thrills, huh? Lots of thrills. It's evident you've never been on a bus. Hey, Greyhound, what time is your bus stop at uh, Santa Barbara? About 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, you stop at Santa Barbara, uh -huh. eh? What have you got against Santa Barbara? 
<laughs> By the way, those roller coasters look pretty rickety to me. How, how, do, how do you know they won't collapse? Well, they're inspected each day. Mm -hmm. Who inspects them? I do. <laughs> the building inspector comes around once a month. Mr. Sewell, you say you inspect them? Yes, sir. How? Well, I'll walk over the track and see that everything's all right. You go up over the top and all that stuff? Yes. Then the building inspector comes around once a month. You make him ride it. Over. No, he won't ride it. He won't ride it. <laughs> That building inspector is no fool, you know. Right? <laughs> now, let's play you bet your life. If you can beat our other two couples in the quiz, you'll get a crack at the $1,000 question. Can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The health inspector and the housewife are ahead with $5. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Latin songs. Latin songs. Here's your first question. You have 20 bucks. How much are you going to try? Ten. Jerry Fielding will supply the music. You name the song. Okay, Jerry. And the polar is right. And they're off to a good start with $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now you have $30. How much are you going to try? $30. You're going to try? Here we go. Give me the title of this Latin melody. What do you say? Take a stab at it. Star eyes, isn't it? No, no, I, I'm sorry. It's, it, you were close. It's green eyes. Green. I'll give you one last chance to get rich. Answer this one, I'll pay you $10. What oceans have the same names as the Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company? <laughs> Atlantic, Atlantic and Pacific. Atlantic and Pacific is right. <laughs> and that means the health inspector and the housewife with $5 get the chance of the $1,000 question. Whee! And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the housewife and the man from the Department of Public Health. Are you ready to try for $1,000, eh? Good luck, and I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly and no help in the audience, please. I, I hope you've been reading your newspapers for the past couple of years. Careful now. Who was the Secretary General of the United Nations? Are you ready? What's the answer you two have decided upon? We've decided upon Trigreve Lee. Trigby Lee is absolutely right. That's right. That's right. You win $1,000. You had the right answer, so you win $1,000. What are you going to do with all that money? I'm going to improve the health of my children. We all need devil work. What are you going to do with your money, Al? I think I'll look at... Clean up look, the city? No, I'll look at the new car. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you, Groucho. You'll Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding.
now, the Goldberg. Early this morning, Sammy Goldberg got up, packed his bag, said goodbye to Carrie Bell, and walked out of Sylvia Allison's house, but not out of her life. When Sammy discovered the true character of the girl he was going to marry, how she planned and lied and maneuvered against her family and himself, he had a terrible quarrel with her. Sylvia used all her best tactics on Sammy. She went through the whole comedy of tears she so often used with so much success. But she doesn't know yet that this time it didn't work. Meanwhile, the Goldbergs have just stopped outside a little eating place right on the outskirts of the town in which the Allisons live. The question of whether to call the Allisons or just drive in on them is being discussed by Molly and Jake. But no matter what the Goldbergs do, they're in for a surprise as big as the one they're going to give. So step out of the car, Molly. Well, uh, well, uh, let us wait a second till Seymour comes back. What is there to wait? You want breakfast? Yeah, one breakfast, but if the place is not open. Well, the gasoline station is open, oh. Molly. If you want to telephone him, must be a telephone booth in the gas station. Oh, oh. all right. So drive over a little ways, Jake, darling, with my high heels. I can't walk on the pebbles on the road. Are you going to call me? Call family and tell him to say my opinion is yes. I think we should call Tammy Mr. Allison, Jake, dear. And my opinion is that if we decided our arrival should be a surprise, a surprise should it be. As you say, dear. As you say, Jake, but if, if, if it wasn't so early in the a.m. What has the a.m. got to do with it? I, I mean if it was p.m. Timo is waving at us now. So come, let's oh, go. All right. The place must be open already. Come on, boy. All right, so we'll have breakfast, Jake, dear, and we'll see. And then what you'll decide, so we'll do. I say let it be a surprise. Right. That's the way you wanted it, and that's the way you let it be. All right. But I'm thinking, Jake, dear, that the surprise is going to be on the other foot. What do you mean? I mean, uh, if we call, if we don't call, the biggest surprise we'll get. All the way, Jake, dear, all the way from New York, I was thinking how... How did Sammy change since he left us? How is this Sammy, this man, is going to be married soon? How is he different from all the Sammy's we knew? Oh, Jay, darling, we knew so many Sammy's. Each one was a surprise to us. And he changed each year. Each year, Sammy became different. Oh, you remember, Jay, how, how, how surprised he was when the baby all of a sudden became a... A, a, a child, and the child became a boy, and then the boy became a man. And suddenly the young man is all of a sudden grown up, and he's going to have his own wife, and his own life. Oh, it says, darling, when it comes to surprises, you don't have to plan. Life plans enough without All right, Molly, all right. Don't start with the reminiscence, oh. and don't start with the philosophy, oh. and don't start with the Shakespeare. Come, we'll have our breakfast oh, yeah. And if you oh. want to call, we'll call. If you don't want to call, we won't call. All right, Jake, call. as you come say, if you run a call, we'll call. Uh-huh. I say my opinion is to call because of the As the Goldbergs get out of their car, enjoying the pleasures of expectation and the delight of deciding whether their surprise should be complete, at the Allison house, Caribel, the Allison maid, is the only one who knows that Sammy's gone. Poor Caribel. Doesn't know exactly how to tell this to Sylvia. Doesn't know exactly what it will mean. And somehow feels part of the guilt that caused his departure. For Carabelle knows the whole story of Sylvia's duplicity. And as Sylvia calls her, Carabelle goes upstairs slowly as, as if she were carrying an unexploded bomb. 
Oh, Miss Sylvia. Oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell her? Oh. <laughs> yes, Miss Sylvia, I'm coming. <laughs> Good morning, Miss Sylvia. Oh, you sort of talk 
matter what you sort of stopped them. This is trouble, just trouble. Stop crying, will you? I've got a thing. Singing won't do no good, Miss Phyllis. Nothing will do no good. He just left. again tomorrow to the next episode of The Goldbergs. Sylvia doesn't give up easily because she has too much to lose. This is James Fleming saying goodbye. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, The King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Shine. again, it's Fibber McGee and Molly time. Fibber McGee and Molly. The dramatic story of a woman with her faith in a man. And a man with his faith in a newspaper. Will something exciting, unusual, or momentous take place in the little frame house at 79 Wistful Vista tonight? Or is that expecting too much? Yes, I guess it's expecting too much. Anyway, here they are. Fibber McGee and Molly. Anything interesting in the paper, dearie? Well, here's an interesting article on crop surpluses, Molly. You don't say. Yeah. Now, take corn, for instance. Certainly. We can take it and we can dish it out. (laughs) 
Hey, I'm serious. This writer says that if conditions keep up, the small farmer will be completely annihilated. Oh. Hey, uh, what's annihilated? Annihilated. Uh. Why, that means, uh, well, uh, when a farmer... Uh, well, now, for instance... Uh, Where's the dictionary? It's probably in the closet with the rest of your stuff. Give me your key and I'll get it for you. Oh, no, you don't. You lay off the stuff in that closet. I got all my stuff arranged in there just the way I want it. Now, don't be silly. Give me the key. <sighs> okay. Now, let's see. Which one of these is the most... Heavenly days. Why do you carry all those keys? Does it make you feel important or something? <laughs> what do you mean, important? Every one of them keys is necessary. What's that little key there for? Well, uh, that's a padlock key. What padlock? Oh, for the, for the backyard gate we used to have in Peoria. <laughs> What are you keeping that for? Are you homesick? No, but if we ever move back to Peoria, I'd try to rent the same house because this key fits the padlock there. <laughs> you got to think ahead in these things. And you see this key here? Looks like the key to a can of salmon. Nope, sardines. <laughs> I use that to clean my pipe with. Oh, I see. Now, let's see. Which one of these keys is the closet door key? Say, uh, maybe we better see if the closet is locked. Let me take a look. Oh, it's here. locked all right. You don't think I'd leave all my personal defects laying around for any prowler to get his hands on? Yourself, calm yourself. Them are my trout flies. Oh. <laughs> Doggone it, Molly. Why did you have to go and mess up? Oh, dear. Come in. Fibber McGee and Molly? Yes. Uh, tell me, with all these radio shows being changed, is it true that you're going to cut your program down to a half hour? What do you mean, cut it down? It's only a half hour now. What? Boy, it sure seems like an hour. <laughs> well, as the guy says when he fell off of the horse and heard something bust... That sounded to me like a rib. Well, never mind that now. Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear, look at all this junk that fell out of that closet. Don't worry, I'll put it back, Molly. I oh, don't... no, you won't. Huh? We're going to go through that pile of whatnots and throw everything out we don't need. Oh, yeah? Well, I've been through this stuff a hundred times, and there ain't a thing of it that I can spare. Oh, there isn't? No. What's this old rusty horseshoe for? Well, I found that in 1911. As soon as I find three more, we can pitch horseshoes in the backyard. I see. You expect to find three more, you huh? You betcha. You don't think the automobile is here to stay, eh? <laughs> Won't be if we don't catch up with the payments. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you want? You remember that job you promised me to take care of your baby, only you didn't have one, so I was going to bring my little brother over and take care of him, remember? Hmm? Do you? Hmm? <laughs> yes, yes, sure, I remember, well, but I... Well, well, the deal is off, see? What you mean, the deal is off? In the first place, there wasn't any deal, and in the second... My mommy had to take my little brother to the doctor today, so I can't bring him over. Oh, that's too bad. What's the matter with your little brother? Anything serious? My mama thinks so. Oh. <coughs> she thinks so, mm, huh? She thinks so. I had to clear my throat there. She thinks he swallowed a dime. 
<laughs> Swallowed a dime? Well, say, that is serious. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, he didn't swallow a dime, I bet you. Huh? It was only eight cents. <laughs> only eight cents? How do you know? Well, we were we were playing slot machine, and I fed him to him. <laughs> what you doing, mister? Well, we're cleaning out this closet, if you must know. I mustn't. Mustn't what? No. No? Yes. What? Hmm? Oh. <laughs> Listen, sis, suppose you go on home and annoy somebody else. Go bother your daddy. He isn't home. He's working on the senseless. <laughs> on the what? Senseless. He goes to people's doors and asks them how many people in the family and how old are you and all stuff like that there, I bet you. Oh, you mean the census. Hmm? <laughs> Chucks, I didn't even think a kid your age knew what a census was. Well, I do, I bet you. Yeah? A census is information, please, on the red, white, and blue network. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Fibber and Molly to return, I'd like your attention for just a minute. If you have valuable jewels, you protect them by keeping them in your safe or in a secret compartment. Valuable papers, you keep in a strong box or vault. How can you protect your valuable furniture, floors, and woodwork? By locking them under a safe protective shield of genuine Johnson's wax. That may seem like a strong statement, but it's really true. When you apply a coat of Johnson's Wax, you are completely covering the surface with an invisible yet very tough shield of real wax. This wax guards the floors and furniture surfaces against wear and against dirt and moisture. From time to time, you renew the coating of Johnson's Wax, and your floors and furniture are given permanent protection. What is equally important, they have that rich, wax-polished glow that good housekeepers cherish. If your home is not wax-protected and wax-beautified, order genuine Johnson's Wax paste or liquid tomorrow. stuff falling out of one little closet. How'd you ever get it all in there? Oh, I don't know. I guess I just inherited a gift for packing. <laughs> My great Aunt Minnie had a job stuffing pimentos into olives. <laughs> oh, hey, look at this, Molly. The tabaret I made in manual training. Hmm. Yeah. Didn't you ever finish anything? It's only got three legs. <laughs> they wouldn't let me stay in the fifth grade another year. Ah, <laughs> oh, McGee, look. One of our old dance programs before we were married. Uh, I didn't know you were so sentimental, dearie. Is that a dance program? I was saving it on account of that little pencil hanging onto it. <laughs> you never know when you'll need a pencil. Uh, listen to this. Waltz, waltz, turkey trot, waltz, bunny hug, waltz, Texas Tommy, 
Waltz. What, no shoddish? <laughs> Grizzly bear, waltz. There. Ah, you had every dance with me but the last waltz. McGee, who huh? did you dance that one with? <laughs> Why, nobody. We sat that one out. In the buggy, remember? Oh, <laughs> oh yes. And we couldn't go back to the dance because you sat on a box of Lowney's chocolate-covered cherries and spoiled your white pants. <laughs> that was the night they took the stage. Come in. Oh, hello, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Say, I'm looking for a nice room in the neighborhood. Got one to rent? No, I don't believe so, Mr. Oldtimer. Oh, come on, kids. I'll pay three bucks a week with meals or two bucks a week and eat out. For two and a half, if you leave me see the funny paper first on Sundays. <laughs> Nothing doing, old-timer. We ain't taking borders. Eh? Absolutely not. The last border we had was a tap dancer. Kept me awake all morning. <laughs> I finally got tired of it and knocked him cold with one of his steel-plated shoes and stuffed it into his own trunk. Eh? <laughs> Incidentally, McGee, where did you ship that trunk? Off to Buffalo. <laughs> wow! <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller said, tell a feller, say, hey, says, see where Scarlett O'Hara got the Academy Award. Yep, says Tellefeller. She lost out with Rhett, but she sure got her Oscar. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you ain't got a room for me. Slept in the park all last summer and didn't like it. The roof leaked. It's long, kid. I'm getting a little tired of all them gone with the wind gags. Yeah. I don't know how a picture about the bluegrass country could produce so many bum plugs. <laughs> well, never mind that, McGee. Isn't there any of this junk we can throw away now? Well, now, let me see, Molly. How about this old photograph album here? I should say not. That's got all our family pictures in it. Oh, dear. Who's this funny-looking man with the walrus mustache, McGee? Oh, that's my great-uncle Roscoe. We were pretty proud of Uncle Roscoe. He was the first white child in the county to be blackballed by the Elks. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, here's one of me Aunt Ad and Aunt Carrie. They both had big families. And yeah, how many kids do they have, anyway? Ten between them. Add six and carry four. <laughs> <laughs> McGee, now, what are you going... Well, hello there, folks. I was just going by and I thought I... Well, what goes on here? Have you been buying out an antique store? Hi, Harlow. Uh, this is just a lot of stuff McGee's been hoarding in the closet, Mr. Wilcox. Isn't it wonderful how much you can pack into so little space? Uh-oh. For instance, you only give me about six lines to tell how Johnson's glow coat saves hours of house cleaning because it beautifies and protects linoleum with absolutely no rubbing or buffing. But in those six lines, I think I can get the idea across pretty well that a self-polishing preparation like glow coat is the very essence of good housekeeping. Oh, it's so easy to use that it's easy to tell about. Oh. Ain't he marvelous, folks? That guy has dedicated his whole life to Johnson's glow coat. What do you mean, Pepper? Harlow, they tell me that way back when you were in college, they wanted you to stroke the crew, and you said no. No stroking, no rubbing, and no buffing. <laughs> Even for dear old University of Southeastern Nebraska. <laughs> Is that true, Mr. Wilcox? No, no, I wasn't a crew man. I went out for ROTC. Oh, Reserve Officers Training Corps? No, revolutionizing old-time cleaning. Oh. Well, so long, folks. Well, he got you there, McGee. 
Yeah. As the golf ball says, when it landed five feet from the tee, I think I've been topped. <laughs> well, let's get busy, Molly, and put this stuff back in the closet. You mean huh? you're going to keep all this junk? Can't we throw any of it out? No, sir. I got a use for every one of these things. Now, you don't need this, do you? Huh? What good is one snowshoe? Why sh- One what? Snowshoe. Is that a snowshoe? Well, shucks, no wonder Billy Mills beat me so bad playing tennis. Oh, now what? Come in. Hi, sis. Can we... Oh, hey, Molly. Look, it's Gracie Allen. Gracie, won't you come in? Oh, no, thank you, Molly. And I wouldn't have dropped in if I'd known you were entertaining. Oh, we ain't entertaining. Oh, you are, too. I think you're very entertaining. Oh. <laughs> now, you say something nice about Georgie and me. Oh, <clears throat> T.L. Yeah. Well, I heard, Gracie, that the difference between our shows is that yours is always in the middle of the week and ours is always weak in the middle. Oh, <laughs> Gracie, what's this I hear about you running for president of the United States? Oh, there's nothing to it. Oh, you mean you're not running for president, huh? Oh, I mean I'll be elected. There's nothing to it. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I ain't one to indulge in no idle gossip, Gracie. But I've heard whispers about Dewey and Hull and Garner and Taft being in the White House next year. But I suppose they're just rumors. They are not. I'll be running the White House, and I'm not going to take in any rumors. <laughs> What's your party, Gracie? Oh, well, it's my own party, the surprise party. Oh, what an adorable name, dear. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Well, you can count on our votes, Gracie. I always said there should be a woman in the White House. How about Mrs. Roosevelt? She's never in the White House. <laughs> Molly, do you play bridge? No, I don't. Oh, that's too bad. I'm forming my cabinet, and I need seven more bridge players. <laughs> How big a cabinet are you going to have? Just two tables. You need a good pool player? Well, no, I'm having the pool table taken out. The eight ball gets in front of too many people. <laughs> By the way, Gracie, uh, when do you expect to move into the White House? January 1st. January 1st? Mm-hmm. You ain't going to be inaugurated on New Year's Eve, are you? Well, I may not be inaugurated, but I'll be feeling pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll be running along now. Well, I'm glad you dropped in, Gracie. You think you can handle your campaign all right? Oh, yes, I can handle my campaign, though the bubbles always tickle my nose a little bit. <laughs> well, thank you both, and don't forget my slogan, Grace the White House with Gracie. Good night. <laughs> Kingsmen sing. Kapoozalum, Kapoozalum, Kapoozalum was the daughter of the ba. There lived a Turk, a horrid beast within the East, who did the prophet's holy work as Baba of Jerusalem. He had a daughter sweet and spark, a maiden fair with flaming hair, and not a barber like a Turk except her name. Kapuzalam. Oh, Kapuzalam. Oh, Kapuzalam. Kapuzalam, the daughter of the Baba. The Baba. The Baba. boy resided near to she. His name was Sam, a perfect lamb. He was of ancient pedigree and came of old Methuselah. He drove a trade and prospered well in gunny sacks and Johnson's wax and ringing at the barber's bell. He met, he loved, he wooed, he won. Kapuzalam, the daughter of the Baba of Jerusalem. Oh, Kapuzalam, oh, Kapuzalam, the lovers were discovered by the Baba. The Baba, the Baba. 
course in taxidermy. Taxidermy. Why on earth did you want to study taxidermy? Well, how did I know it meant stuffing birds and animals? And there I was, stuck with a chauffeur's license, a city map, and a pair of puttees. Well, hurry up and put your playthings back in the closet. Okay. Looks terrible laying around here on the floor with that... I'll get it. Hello? No, this is the McGee residence. You got the wrong number. Oh, is that you, Mert? Gad every week the same thing. <laughs> Apologies to Skinny Ennis. How's every little thing, Mert? What's A? Your Uncle Gulliver. Oh, that's too bad, Mert. Oh, my. And they ain't found the body yet, huh? Oh, eh? heavenly days, McGee. What happened? Mert's uncle drove his car off a cliff and had to walk home. <laughs> they found the chassis up in a tree, but they don't know where the body is. <laughs> What's A, Mert? Oh, that's okay, Mert. Everybody has the wrong number now and then, except Irving Berlin. Well, now, let's see it. McGee, why are you saving this long stick of bamboo? Why, Molly, that's that's got a very definite purpose. If I was offered a job as sparring partner for Joe Lewis, that's the ten-foot pole I wouldn't touch it with. (laughs) See, I got a right... Oh, for goodness sakes, Mm. come in. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. How do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. Good heavens, what a... Oh, my, it looks as if there'd been an explosion in here. (laughs) No, just some things that fell out of the closet, Mrs. Uppington. McGee had everything in there but the kitchen sink. Oh, really? Everything but the kitchen sink? Oh, my, isn't that amusing? (laughs) Oh, but what I came in for, Mrs. McGee, was to tell you about the symphony concert I've been planning with Maestro Mills. Oh, yes, the symphony concert. Well, it's about time something was happening about that, Mrs. Uppington. I've been waiting so long for that concert, Uppy. I'm, I'm even getting suspicious of Billy Mills. I'm afraid he's a non-conductor. Oh, well, we must be patient, you know. There's been so many difficulties. For one thing, we're having trouble with the facilities at the Eagles Hall. Oh. Oh, What's wrong, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, it's the Eagles, my dear. The Eagles? Yes, they're all roosting up in the rafters, and during rehearsals, they drop eggs on the orchestra. (laughs) You ought to call them down and give them seats in the first row, Uppy. Them birds are critics. Yes, indeed, they certainly... Oh, now, please, Mr. McGee. 
It's discouraging enough as it is. I hear they had a kind of an accident during rehearsal the other night, Oh, Uppie. yes, and it was so embarrassing. So? Yes, the musician playing the electric guitar reached for a high note and blew every fuse in the building. Oh, my. Oh, my, but those dear, dear boys went right on playing just as if nothing had happened. Oh, really, Mrs. Uppington? But how could they read their music in the dark? Oh, my dear, that's exactly what I asked Dr. Mills. And he said in his most delightful manner, oh, yes. Don't worry about it, babe. Those mugs can't even read music with the lights on. <laughs> oh, really? I thought that was just too gay. <laughs> or am I being a silly girl? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I must be going. Goodbye. Goodbye, Abigail. Ridiculous, McGee. Yeah. All the time she's back in that symphony orchestra, she's dreaming about Billy Mills. Well, that's always been a pretty romantic spot, down by the old Mills dream. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I says down Ain't by the... Ain't funny, McGee. Oh, well. It was spontaneous. <laughs> Where was I? See, oh, yeah. Uh... Do you really think you can get all this stuff back in that closet? Why, sure I can, and I don't want anybody touching these things either but me. They're too valuable. Oh. I'd have had it done an hour ago if I hadn't been interfered with. All right, you do it then. Huh? I've got some work to do in the kitchen. All right, I'll get it. Dad, rat it. I wish somebody'd crawl in through the window just for the novelty of it. <laughs> come in. Oh, there, McGee. Oh, it's you. Yeah, just thought I'd come by and tell you that... Well, my goodness, what's all this? Oh, just something out of my closet. I'm straightening it up. Hey, Gildersleeve, put that hatchet down. I'll do no such thing. That's my Boy Scout hatchet you borrowed last summer. Dad, granted, it ain't nothing of the kind. That's my Boy Scout hatchet. Look at the insignia on the handle there. Owl Patrol. Well, I belong to the Owl Patrol myself. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You and the Owl Patrol. (laughs) Why, you don't even know the password of the Owl Patrol. Who? Well, somebody must have told you. <laughs> Listen here, Gildersleeve. I bet you don't know a thing about scouting. I do, too. I was an Eagle Scout with 26 merit badges. Uh, go on. Can you tie a sheep shank? Can you imitate the mating cry of the chimney swallow? Uh, Can you tell which way is north when you're lost in the woods? Certainly. How? I face south and then turn around quick. <laughs> <laughs> Gildersleeve, if you're really a scout, you can do your daily good turn by scramming out of here and letting me finish putting this stuff back in the closet. Well, all right, McGee. You're sure that isn't my hatchet? On my word of honor as a member of the Owl Patrol, Gildersleeve. Well, all right, McGee. I'll see you later. Okay. Uh, say. Huh? uh, Give me the password again, will you? (laughs) Who? Who? Boy Scout, that guy couldn't build a fire in a hay mob by rubbing two sticks of dynamite together. <laughs> oh, well, I've got to get the rest of this. Looks like about all of it. Yep. It's all packed back in there. Boy, what a job. Hey, Molly! Molly! What is it, Mr. Davis? Look, I got all that stuff back in the closet, all straightened out. <laughs> splendid, McGee, splendid. Yep. And after this one, you want something out of there, let me get it for you. All right. Yep. But now that you got the dictionary out of there, why don't you leave it out? We may need it again. Oh. What's the matter? I forgot to leave it out. I, I packed the dictionary back in there. Oh, heavenly days. Now, hey, now, you stay away from there. I know exactly where I put it. Well, okay. I can get it out without the Molly! Molly! Yes? 
dictionary. How do you spell anahiliated? <laughs> Molly will be back in just a moment. In the meantime, I'd like to read you a brief letter received recently from a gentleman in New York State. For the past 15 years, he writes, I have installed many linoleum floors, as I am a linoleum layer. Most every time upon completion of an installation, I am asked this question. How can I preserve or improve the finish? Well, since Glow Coat has been on the market, I have used it with perfect satisfaction. So I always answer, use Johnson's Glow Coat and no other. Well, now, coming from a man who knows his linoleum, that is a pretty sound recommendation. Glow Coat does preserve and improve linoleum, whether it's new or old. It makes linoleum last longer, makes it easy to keep clean, brings out the colors. And remember, there's no rubbing or buffing with Glow Coat because it's self-polishing. You simply apply and let dry. In 20 minutes, your floor is sparkling with new beauty. Try Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat on your floors. Order a can tomorrow. Now, look, McGee, that junk of yours is positively not going back into that closet. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yeah. hey, wait a minute. Wrong routine. <laughs> well, all right, then. But if it does go back in there, I'll arrange it myself. Now, you keep your hands off at this time. You going to do it all by yourself? I am. Fine. As the fat lady says when she took off her corset, that lets me out. McGee. Good night. Good night, This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our summer show train with your host, Gordon McRae. The Association of American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life, brings you the Railroad Summer Show, starring Gordon McRae. Lucille Norman, a sportsman, and the music of John Rarig and his orchestra. And here is your host, Gordon McRae. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads pays tribute to a comparatively new team whose songs have been sweeping the country. To the distinguished lyricist, Mr. Mac Gordon and to his own exciting discovery, a wonderful young composer, Mr. Joseph Myro, both of 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Folks, you're about to hear music that you already know and like. We're fairly certain that you know it and like it because these are all songs that you, the people, have sung and whistled and applauded until you made them hits. They are all from Fox Pictures, and they are all by Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro. You probably already know about Mac Gordon, who is one of the country's most celebrated lyricists. But we wanted to tell you tonight the story of Gordon and Myro, and of the songs they have written together which have swept the nation. Songs that are fresh and delightful, and somehow have that magic combination of being both singable and memorable. For instance, here's a beautiful song. 
Every time I meet you, I meet you for the first time, just as though we never had met before. Every time I kiss you, you for the first time and my happy heart keeps begging you for more every time you thrill me you thrill me for the first time the moment is grand and the feeling is so brand new. Every time you leave me, won't you take this thought along with you? I've fallen in love for the first and the last time too. time you leave me, won't you take this thought along with you? I've fallen in love for the first and the last time to The story you are now to hear might almost begin once upon a time. For only once upon a time do stories like this happen, even in this once upon a time town of Hollywood. Mac Gordon had written, Did You Ever See a Dream Walking? and Stay As Sweet As You Are with Harry Ravel. He had written Time On My Hands with Vincent Humans, I Can't Begin To Tell You with Jimmy Monaco, Mamselle with Edmund Goulding, You'll Never Know with Harry Warren. And now, after many years of writing songs with some of the most famous composers in the business, he was given a picture to produce at Fox, a musical called Three Little Girls in Blue. He had to choose a composer, and since this was the first production to go out under his name, he had to come up with a good one. He wanted Harry Warren, but Warren couldn't take the assignment and recommended one Joseph Myro. So Gordon phoned Myro. Tomorrow, this is Mac Gordon at Fox. Yes, Mr. Gordon. Uh, could you come out and see me tomorrow? Why, yes. What time? Well, make it around 11 and bring some music. I want to hear you play. I'll be there. Who was that, honey? Well, that was Mac Gordon at Fox. I have an appointment with him tomorrow at 11. Oh, that's wonderful. I guess he's looking for a piano player. He said he wanted to hear me play. Oh, would you take a job as a piano player? I'll take any kind of a job to get into a studio. You're a composer. Yeah. You know that and I know that. But right now, I need a chance to prove it. So Joe Myro played for Mac Gordon. He played music that was new and modern and exciting. And Gordon sat there listening. At last, after about an hour, Joe stopped playing. Ah, you've played some wonderful music, Mr. Myro. Thank you. It's really fine, advanced, fresh, new. Thank you. But I'm not looking for music that's advanced and new. I thought you were looking for a piano player. No, I'm looking for a composer. But 
Uh, this is a period picture. I've got to have music that's old-fashioned, quaint, nostalgic. I think I could be old-fashioned and quaint, Mr. Gordon. <laughs> Do you? Would you give me a few days to try and prove it to you? I'll give you a few days and a few lines. Now, here's the verse and the opening line of a song I want done called The Boardwalk at Atlantic City. Thank you, Mr. Gordon. Thank you very much. The very next day, Joe Myro was back in Mac Gordon's office. In fact, the two of them went to the piano. Myro played the music he had written to go with Gordon's words. Goodbye, little chicks. We are leaving the sticks. We are catching a train at a quarter to six. And if anyone should drop around, won't you please tell them that we can be found on the board walk at Atlantic City. Uh, wait a minute, play that part that goes into the chorus again. Ah, you're hired. What did you say? I said you're hired. Take off your coat and let's go to work. And so they went to work, and the result was a song you started singing the summer before last and have been singing ever since. Goodbye, little chicks, we are leaving the sticks. We are catching a train at a quarter to six. And if anyone should drop around, won't you please tell them that we can be found on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. We will walk in a dream on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Life will be peaches and cream. There where the salt water air brings out a lady's charms. There on a rolling chair, he'll roll right into your arms. Cinderella, you will find your fellow, someone that you've waited for. In romantic, enchanting Atlantic City, down on the old When it was announced that Mac Gordon had picked a newcomer to do the music for Three Little Girls in Blue, almost everyone thought he was crazy. Mac, this is the first picture you've produced. You can't afford to take chances. You've got to do everything you can to ensure success. Uh -huh. You've got to pick an established man so there won't be any element of risk. Hey, Mac, listen to me. Now you listen to me. I've been working here at Fox 14 years, and I've been writing songs for a good many more years than that. And if I can't recognize talent by now, then I might as well quit. Okay, Mac, it's your funeral. Maybe, maybe not. This boy is great. I'll stake my reputation on him. And Mac Gordon did stake his reputation on Joseph Myro. And when the people heard the music, most of them who had told Mac Gordon he was crazy to take a chance on a newcomer said, Hey, did you hear those songs? That boy's great. I knew he couldn't miss. Oh, yes. Yes, it was easy to say that once you had seen Vivian Blaine stand alone by a window and heard her wistfully sing this song. Somewhere in the night There must be someone for me Somewhere in the night Who knows where somewhere may be Maybe way beyond 
south with the tide My lonely heart keeps saying to me No, this doesn't seem right There must be someone somewhere in the night The songs from Three Little Girls in Blue swept the nation. You make me feel so young. You make me feel there are songs to be sung, bells to be rung, and a wonderful thing to be fun. And even when I... The tunes were catching, the lyrics delightful, the picture was a hit. And well might Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro sing with the rest of the country their own gay song from Three Little Girls in Blue. Cause you make me feel so young. We'll be back in just a moment to bring you more of the wonderful songs of Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro and the story of how they came to be written. But first, a message from the railroads. Most of us make some sort of purchase nearly every day. Whether we realize it or not, these purchases play an important part in what we call the American way of life. For this combination of purchases, large and small, throughout the nation, is an essential part of the high level of production and consumption which benefits us all. As long as people are able to buy things, as long as industry and agriculture are kept busy, we in America will be assured of an abundance of the necessities and luxuries of life. Our railroads are one of the largest purchasers of the goods which America produces. In fact, in 1948 alone, the railroads spent more than $3 billion for the 100,000 different items they need in order to keep running. For instance, the railroads last year spent more than $833 million for fuel, $747 million for iron and steel products, and another $166 million for cross ties, lumber, and other forest products. And for new freight and passenger cars and new locomotives, they invested more than $900 million, all for better service for you. These tremendous purchases were not made in one city or in one part of the country, but were made in more than 12,000 cities and towns located in all sections of the United States. Such railroad purchases stimulate business everywhere. They affect mines, forests, factories, farms. They provide employment for hundreds of thousands of men and women outside the railroad industry. Yes, when railroads can afford to buy in normal volume, business is good and employment is up. And whether railroads can afford to do this depends on earnings, which provide the money for them to spend. That's why it's good business for America, good business for all of us, to keep our railroads healthy. Now we continue the Railroad Hours tribute to 20th Century Fox's great team, Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro. After Joseph Myro's spectacular debut with Three Little Girls in Blue, 20th Century Fox signed him to a term deal. And he and Mac Gordon started to work on another score. This time it was the musical version of Burlesque, called When My Baby Smiles at Me. 
They were working on the songs for this score when the musicians' band against the recording companies was called. It was to go into effect at midnight, New Year's Eve. And since recordings are part of the lifeblood of any song, everyone connected with the business was trying to get every song possible recorded before the deadline. The week before New Year's, the head of Victor Records' popular music department, Eli Oberstein, was on the Fox lot. And Joe Myro played a song that he and Mac Gordon were working on. Boys, I think that's a great tune. What are you calling it? Allie and I, we're calling it, by the way, but don't ask for the rest of the words because I haven't got them yet. Well, how about getting a record made of it before the band? Well, there's nothing I'd like better if I had a lyric. Couldn't you knock one out in a hurry? Well, where do you want to cut this record, Mr. Oberstein? New York. Well, there wouldn't be time to get arrangements written of the song. Well, there's time if you get on the phone and dictate the music bar by bar. Well, it's up to Mac. What do you say, Mac? Well, I'd certainly like to have the record. Okay, I'll try. These are the moments that can really scare you. Mac Gordon stared at blank pieces of paper. He chewed pencils. He walked the floor. Nothing happened. The hands of the clock slid by the hours and then the days. But the words just wouldn't come. And finally, it was the last morning and he had sat in the studio office all night with Joe sitting anxiously beside him. Ah, Joe, it's no use. I'm sorry you went all the trouble to dictate the music by telephone. I just can't get a lyric for it. I'm going home and get some sleep. You phone Eli and call off the deal, will you? Okay, whatever you say. Mac went home and got wearily into bed. He was almost asleep when the phone rang. Hello. Mac, Oberstein says you've just got to get a lyric. He says we've had an orchestra standing by since yesterday. Uh, okay, I'll come down to the office, but I'm afraid I'm not going to lick this one, Joe. I'm afraid I'm not going to lick this one. Mac Gordon went back to his office and stared at the blank paper. He stared at blank walls and out the window at a blank sky. He sat there all afternoon, and at five o'clock, suddenly words began to fit themselves to the music, and he wrote them down. By 5.30, Eli Oberstein had them in New York, and long before midnight, the song was recorded. And, as I'm certain you recall, it went like this. By the way, wasn't that a dream last night? Seems I barely closed my eyes. And you were there by the way, and to my complete surprise, you and I were dancing on a cloud somewhere. I thrilling and then I pleaded for a kiss and you were willing and so we kissed 
and Myro and When My Baby Smiles at Me, you heard it in Beautiful Blonde from Bashful Bend, and you heard it in Mother Wore Tights. Wish I were back again with all the sweet and simple folks I call my kin in Kokomo, Indiana, well if it isn't pop and hiya mom, you always had the cutest grin in Kokomo, Indiana, just look at Rover Wagg's tail. Gosh, he remembers me. And get a load of Sister Grace. You can't see the freckles for the jam on her face. How would you like to go and see that old Wabashful bow you used to know in Kokomo, Indiana? Wouldn't you just as soon go out and spoon beneath the Hoosier moon? Oh, what a moon. For all of the many reasons that I've mentioned here before, my heart will always be in Kokomo. And of course, you know, the town of Kokomo will always be indefinitely in Indiana. Yes, you heard it in Mother War Tights. Applauded it, requested it, remembered it, and sang it yourself. And one particular love song you made, the number one hit of the country. It was your favorite love song of the year. Remember? Who knows how much I love you? You do. No one means more to me than you do. You take December and smile it into May, and then December comes back again when you're away. Who has a charm that very few do? Makes life necessary, you do, and who can take my dreams and make my dreams come true? Don't give me three guesses. Charm that very few knew. 
And so, for songs that have added so much to the musical enjoyment of our nation, the Railroad Hour salutes Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro. And who can take my dreams and make my dreams come true? Lasting evidence of tonight's tribute, the Railroad Hour is presenting a parchment scroll to Mr. Mac Gordon and a scroll to Mr. Joseph Myro, signed by William T. Farrisee, president of the Association of American Railroads. And here to accept the scrolls are Mac Gordon and Joseph Myro. Thank you very much, Gordon. The tribute is gratifying. The scroll is beautiful. And your singing, well, just wonderful. Mac has said it so beautifully that there's nothing I can add. That's what usually happens to a composer around a lyric writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mac and Joe. Say, Mac, I, uh, I know that you sing quite a song yourself. I just saw you and heard you sing, and you're my everything. And I wondered if you would favor us this evening with a few notes. Well, Gordy, I had been hoping you'd ask me. You're breaking my heart. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to sing our newest song, It Happens Every Spring. Wonderful. Joe, if you could lend a little assist out at left field at the Steinway. Love it. I'll be glad to. <laughs> it happens every spring. The world is young again. We're children on an upsa-daisy swing A carousel with horses freshly painted The oom-pa-pa that says let's get acquainted What is that cheer I heard? The fellow stealing third Your neighbor's boy became a home-run king your dad rolls up his sleeves to clean the attic. Your 16-year-old sister goes dramatic. It happens, yes, it happens every spring. The tears that go with sulfur and molasses. The outstretched nickels when an ice cream wagon passes. A rippling stream sounds like a rippling harp As Mother Nature proudly spreads her new green carpet Be patient, lonely one Your love will come along Your autumn heart will find a song to sing and raindrops will be dancing to the tune of it. The carefree gay and April, May and June of it. And remember. 
never rains But what it pours And maybe raindrops will be whispering This spring is yours. Oh, that's wonderful, Mac. Wonderful. And we'd like to say many, many thanks to you and Joseph Myro for being with us tonight. Have I something to say here? And you're supposed to say, uh, you're supposed to say, thank you, Gordon, and good night. Oh, am I supposed to say that? Well, let me, let me try it. Thank you, Gordon, and good night. Okay. <laughs> good night, Gordon. Take back your samba, hi, your goomba, hi, your conga, hi, yai, yai. Why can't you send us high, let's spend you highest number, hi, yai, yai. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, the Railroad Hour pays tribute to that wonderful musical show, Call Me Mister, and to its brilliant young composer and lyricist, Harold Rome. You will hear the story of how the show came to be written, and we'll sing you its wonderful score, among them, the one titled, here it is, South America, take it away. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. The Railroad Summer Hour is written by Gene Holloway and is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. These railroads are your hometown partners. They are an essential, dependable, working part of the life of thousands of cities and towns all over America. Railroads employ local people and often buy supplies locally. They own local property and pay local taxes on it. They are responsible citizens and good neighbors in your own hometown. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, goodbye. Gordon McRae is now being seen in the Warner Brothers Technicolor production, Look for the Silver Lining. And now for Lucille Norman, the sportsman, John Rarig and his orchestra, and your host, Gordon McRae, a hearty invitation to meet us again next week at this same place on your dial. We'll have more songs and the tribute to Harold Rome. This is Marvin Miller speaking. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Thank you.